This is Unfiltered, episode 275 for April 4th, 2018. Tonight, a defiant Kremlin lashing out and placing new blame, insisting again that it had nothing to do with a brazen assassination attempt of former Russian spy Sergei Skripal and his daughter Yulia last month in Salisbury, England. No other country has a combination of the capability, the intent and the motive to carry out such an act. Sources say the sophisticated nature of the attack that included heavy doses of the nerve agent placed on Sergei Skripal's front doorknob points directly to orders from the Kremlin. Hello, everybody. Welcome again to an episode of Unfiltered, Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly show about the news that you shouldn't be watching. I'm Chase over there running the board and uh, just hanging out, having a good time. Mr. Chris, how you doing, man? Good. Dinging my own bell that I've had for years, Chase. (laughs) 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 You know what? I'm really happy to be here because we have so, so much to get into this week. Yes. Yes, we do. I, I, uh, I, I, I got to say that uh, the news has been very interesting over the past oh, week, both, buddy. both in show-related news, right? Because, you know, there's been some things happening with the show and uh, yeah. other things. And my my place of employment. Yeah. Yeah, the show has been... It's been in, nuts. The show has been in the sphere of discussion. It's been uh, talked about. And the place that you work for, well, at least who owns it, my, Yeah, my parents. Well, actually, yeah. both, both, because mm-hmm. the place that I work for and the parent company... Yeah. And and I will address what I can address. I'll, I'll put it that way. All right. And then, you know, on top of all of that, you've got some more stuff with the Russia poisoning gate. You've got more with the border wall, the military going down there. Of course, there's some new cyber threats that we should all be freaking out about right now. Didn't you know? Well, we'll tell you about that. We've got a high note to kind of cap it all off. And then if you can stick around for your veggies, we've got an overtime that is packed full of useful information. Nice. A lot to get into, Mr. Chase. Yes, sir. It's good to be here before I head off on my, um, not, it's like, not like a full spring break trip, but it's like a half spring break trip. I'm about to head out after the show. I'm about to head off on like a half. I'm going to go down to Oregon, get down somewhere near the coast, enjoy the beach for a little bit. And just chill. I, I should plant a seed, by the way. I, I keep forgetting to mention this to you in two weeks, so not next week, but the 18th. I, I will be in San Francisco. <gasps> and then shortly after that yeah. is Linux Fest Linux Northwest. Northwest. I know, yeah. where you and I will be at. Uh, so if anybody could potentially make it out, check out Linux Fest Northwest on uh, online. Mr. Chase and I will be there That's at right. the end of this month. That's right. And uh, I'm looking forward to th- that, th- There'll be video. We'll be on camera. It'll be yeah. amazing. Ooh. Ooh. Yeah. Well, and, you better keep the beard until least. Oh, the beard's not going anywhere. Okay, and good. right now, good, mine's good, good. built in yeah. enough. Got yeah, it's, it's, I say you leave it. I, it's, it's what do going. you think? I'm going with the neck beard. Did you? Are you going with neck beard too? I, I'm just going with the line. Just, yeah. So, so how do you decide where to shave on the neck? So I picked up this tip on YouTube, and it's a very sound tip. You go, you look for your Adam's apple. Okay, two fingers above the Adam's apple. That's your point. And then, oh, you, yeah. And then basically, you just go from there. I need to do that. See, I've been growing in the neck because I hate shaving the neck. Yeah. If you go to like to about two fingers above the Adam's apple, that's that's a sweet spot in my opinion. <laughs> Thanks for the visual there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So let me show you some other manscaping ideas. <laughs> All right. So um, we got something special in the cyber segment this week. You know how we like to – ever since Edward Snowden was a thing, we like right. to have a cyber well, segment. Let me clean off my desk. And uh, <laughs> this week – 
PBS got some exclusive access to how the Department of Defense is protecting the entire United States military apparatus. Ooh, I feel safe. They just had um, a couple of uh, like rules they had to follow. They couldn't name anybody. They couldn't describe how they're doing anything. But they could tell us how they're protecting us from lots of spam. Well, not us. No, not us. But the military. From lots of spam. The internet was largely created by the U.S. Defense Department in the late 60s, primarily for its research and development operations. Now, like every other wired institution, it depends on it for everything it does. As a result, the Defense Department's information network is now targeted by nearly 40 million malicious emails every day. Um, so, um, spam does not equate to cyber attack. And Correct. The issue that we often have is like when we hear about the amount of cyber attacks every year or data breaches every year, a lot of times they're just quoting semantic uh, antivirus triggers uh, with an aggregate across all of their enterprise customers. And that's not a legitimate number. So um, this whole this whole premise here with the matrix, if you're if you're listening, they have matrix code scrolling across the screen right now, yep. ta- talking about all of the millions of dangerous emails. Where's the keyboard sounds coming in? Is, uh, did I miss those? No, but we will have some keyboard close-ups. All right, good. Okay. Is now targeted by nearly forty million malicious emails every day. <laughs> Colonel Paul Kraft's cyber protection teams defend the network from this top secret operations center called the JSOC. We do not want the enemy to get a foothold into the Department of Defense's networks to gain, gain or maintain any terrain just like they would in land. The news hour was granted exclusive access. So here's what I think is, is wrong, is the, the uh, government is taking sort of a traditional warfare approach to this, and they can't help but think about it in terms of territory and land and regional locations. And that's just not how it works on a TCP IP network. See, they're not coming at it as technologists. They're coming at it as, as resource conservatists. And they're talking to somebody, this PBS news anchor, who's completely out of touch. And I think this really shows why we're, why we're never going to quite crack this, at least the current generation. It, 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 to me... As soon as you have a department of people, you're doing it wrong. As soon as you have a large group of people, you're doing it wrong. Just like they would in land. The news hour was granted exclusive access under conditions we not identify team members or the cyber defense technologies they use. You know, because then you might be able to ascertain how effective they I mean, actually are. You will not be able to see us use VLC or Windows <laughs> Media Player as we play clips on our big screens. So they're bringing in cyber experts to fill out their cyber team from all over, including folks who watch TV ads. They created an opening into the Defense Department's network. These cyber teams are drawn from all the services and ranks. Some were trained by the military. Others were recruited for their cyber skills. So, uh, you know, if you want to double-check their cyber skills, what so, question do you ask? Uh, do you, uh, ASL? That's you why know, it's not like fighting a war in another domain where you deploy troops, you fight, you go home. Conflict in the cyber domain is is constant. Yeah, so you I got mean, those, constant constant those, port scans. Yeah, uh, those troll comment boards that you have to go in there. You got to look at Telegram. I mean, there's so many things to do. So if you've ever watched uh, U.S. television, you've seen the type of shows where they run U.S. recruiting ads, and you've seen the type of shows where they don't. Yeah. And uh, this was one of those recruiting ads that had a secret URL. I can shut down your power grids. 
I can paralyze your infrastructure. A line of code buried in this army recruiting ad generated nearly 800,000 hacking attempts on a fake military website. The 1% who cracked the site were invited to join the military's cyber warfare team. Well, they must be elite then. If they if they looked at some sort of URL during an NFL during an NFL uh, football game, you know this is they're just taking from what Google has done and Facebook has done. Uh, have you seen like these billboards where they have the lines of code and you know it just doesn't make sense to us? We're like, what's that about? And then one your program buddies goes, oh yeah, they're just recruiting. Yeah, same kind of thing. Yeah, I and and that's why that's how they're positioning this. Even if this was fairly unsuccessful, so you play this to an audience of eleven million people. Wait, I know this. This is a Unix system, right? Yeah, Sorry. yeah. They have an end map in there too, showing you the open ports. End map of a of a host, and they have an address of a URL in there. They even flashed the URL line to make sure you uh, you catch it. And and they're trying to they're trying to they're trying to suppose that only the elite hackers watching TV knew what this was. Don't kid yourself. One percent who cracked the site were invited to join the military's cyber warfare team. How many of you would consider yourselves gamers? Oh, God. He didn't, did he? It's PBS, dude. Oh, come on, man. I know. I know. Of course. I mean, if they're gamers, they probably use Discord. And they're probably hackers. Cyber warfare team. How many of you would consider yourselves gamers? Training and retaining this new generation of cyber warriors is an ongoing challenge. I could walk out today um, and and get a very easily six-figure salary. It's not about the money. It's about the pride in your job and, and what you do for the American people. You know, catching those millions and millions and millions of spam messages, the pride in that. Uh, so then they had to figure out, well, PBS had to figure out what attacks are real. Like if the Pentagon's got this entire division, what can we verify as an actual verifiable cyber attack? And you know what they came across? Stuxnet. <laughs> or what if any involvement the U.S. had with the widely reported but officially denied cyber attack on an Iranian nuclear facility? So this is years ago, covered it on the TechSnap program as it developed. Stuxnet was created by the U.S. and by Israel working together. And the whole idea was create this bit of an imbalance in the Iranian centrifuges so that way they would spin a little off kilter and eventually blow up while they're trying to refine materials. That's what Stuxnet was. And it was amazing how they got Stuxnet out there, including bypassing air gaps, using all kinds of crazy technologies, USB thumb drive, some of the most basic, like, obvious ways to get onto networks. The whole spectrum was Stuxnet. Stuxnet truly represented the United States' first massive military weapon that was all computer code. That's Stuxnet. But officially denied cyber attack on an Iranian nuclear facility using a software virus called Stuxnet, which disabled critical equipment. What was created with Stuxnet was not just an operation to sabotage Iranian nuclear research. It was a new kind of weapon. Peter Singer with the New America Foundation and other defense analysts believe the Iranian attack to be a major turning point in cyber warfare. Now, to make it clear, because it's a little unclear, the Iranian attack isn't Iran attacking us. (laughs) No, no. It's us attacking Iran, (laughs) okay? So the Iranian attack is us going after Iran's nukes. 
not them attacking us. Believe the Iranian attack to be a major turning point in cyber warfare. They created a weapon, something that caused physical damage, but it was unlike every other in history in that it was computer software, as much as zeros and ones. So that's what PBS found when they looked at uh, things that have gotten a lot of traction. Gotcha. So Panetta comes around. You know, your good buddy. My friend, yeah. Uh, uh, Leon. Leon. Who uh, was uh, quite the uh, yes man during Obama. And he says, look, we got to go on the offensive. Just take Ukraine as an example. We recently visited Ukraine where there was a number of cyber attacks that actually impacted their critical infrastructure. Do you recognize that voice? Is that Lisa Ling? Nope. No, uh, you're in there. Oh, oh, uh, Katie? Katie Couric? Nope, nope. Mm. Uh, Cyber attacks on the power grid that led to hundreds of thousands of people losing their power. I would show you her face, but uh, in fact, watch. I'll scrub the clip. They won't show you her face for... Wait for it, wait for it, wait for it. We've seen Leon, we've seen Putin. There it is. There it is. She's that... um, She's from R... She was from RT, wasn't she? You got it. Yes. That's Liz. Ah. She's the gal that got tricked by a uh, think tank to denounce RT and that she was guaranteed a new job. She went on CNN and said, Putin... Putin and said all Putin over and over again, talked about how awful RT was. And then she has not worked in the news business until Newsly, which is a chicken shit, no name online news division hired her (laughs) to do this. And this is the one and only camera shot that she has in this entire interview. Wow. Yeah. So she interviews uh, Leon Panetta, who says that yeah, we've we've got to we've got to go on the offensive against Russia because of what's happened in Ukraine, and I, I guess when he says because of what's happened in Ukraine, he must be referring to us helping overthrow the government. Fuck right. the EU. <laughs> I, I would imagine. I'm yeah. not sure what he means by yeah, that. You're probably right. Yeah, yeah. So, anyways, WikiLeaks founder Julian Assange has been denied internet access since Monday and isn't being allowed visitors at the Ecuadorian embassy in London, where he's been staying for almost six years. Well, how's he going to tweet? <laughs> now, sources close to the whistleblower group have told RT why the Ecuadorian officials took those decisions. As Anastasia Cherkina reports. Do you have any guesses? Uh, well, he was trying to get his fantasy baseball team put together. <laughs> According good. to sources close to WikiLeaks, we have learned that the Ecuadorian government had placed electronic jammers inside the Ecuadorian embassy right behind me, where Julian Assange has been holed up for over five and a half years now. And the idea of this was to block him from being able to tweet as well as communicate with the outside world, hold telephone conversations or have access to the Internet, generally speaking. We also understand that he's back. He's been banned from having visitors inside the embassy. And apparently all of this comes following a publication in the Ecuadorian press about Julian Assange's tweets concerning the Catalan issue, specifically the detention of uh, Catalan independence leader Carlos Puigdemont in Germany earlier this week. Yeah, you see, the problem with Julian is we always hear about him interfering with our uh, government operations, but he between about world events all the time and uh, he stepped on some toes so uh mm. 
it's it's one of those get out, no more internet for you, get out kind of moves. I still like I I know why he's holed up there, but I like I kind of forget like how because does like why the Ecuadorian embassy like they were the ones that gave him a place. Yeah, it, it really came down to like uh, some rape accusations, which yeah. I think have been rescinded. But... No, 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 no. Like okay. if he stepped out on the street right now, yeah, oh he, yeah, he yeah. would just be uh, arrested immediately. <laughs> That's weird. What do you think will happen first, Julian Assange? Uh, leaves the embassy or the unfiltered show ends? Oh, God. Probably Assange? I would say probably Assange. Really depends on that Patreon, though. Patreon.com slash unfiltered. <laughs> All right. Uh, this is a weird one because I had to do a show while this whole damn thing was happening, and it just put a funk over the whole live event. I know, poor me, right? This is an NBC News special report. Here's Lester Holt. Good afternoon. We are following a tense situation unfolding right now in San Bruno, California, just south of San Francisco. The picture zooming in from the air on the headquarters of YouTube. Police say there were reports of an active shooter there. It has drawn a a massive police response from what we can see from these aerial photos, as well as a, a vigorous EMS response. What a hell of a thing, huh? Yeah. So a YouTube shooting, and we didn't know what was going on until word started coming out that the family of the alleged shooter had warned police. Breaking details about the shooting at YouTube's headquarters. Here's what we know this morning. Police have identified the suspect as Nassim Agdam, a woman who lived in California and frequently used YouTube. Her family says she was angry at the company. She killed herself after opening fire on three employees, one of them now in critical condition. ABC senior national correspondent Matt Gutman is at YouTube headquarters with the latest. Good morning, Matt. So, I mean, there's a lot of things to take in here. So she goes to the YouTube headquarters. Uh, It's a female. And she was a YouTube content creator herself. Yes, she was. Hey, good morning, George. You can imagine those terrified employees here at YouTube just pouring down that staircase behind me, seeking shelter in the restaurants just across the street. Now, you mentioned this. This is a fast-moving investigation. But overnight, we learned that that 39-year-old drove up here from Southern California, Nassim Agdam, bearing a vendetta against YouTube and that 9-millimeter gun. Now, incredibly, her parents had listed her as missing. And the night before the shooting, officers in nearby Mountain View, California, found her her sleeping in her car. They alerted her family. Now, their family says... So the cops find her 2 a.m. in Mountain View. Right. Google, by the way, Google's headquarters Mountain View. Yeah, right around the corner. Find her at at 2 a.m. They call her family, and her family says, yeah, she's missing, we're concerned about her, and they say, quote, we'll keep an eye on her. Uh Uh-oh. That they try to alert authorities about her, but by then, it was too late. Law enforcement officials say this is the woman... 38-year-old Nassim Agdam, who stormed into an employee patio at YouTube headquarters in San Bruno, California, shooting three employees before turning the gun on herself. It was one after another. Boom, 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 boom. Her family says the prolific YouTube user, My name is Nassim Saps, hated the company, claiming it was censoring her content and not paying her for the videos she posted on the platform. I'm being discriminated and filtered on YouTube. She had a YouTube channel which boasted ab workout videos and many of them in Farsi. Her brother says her family reported her missing over the weekend and claims they told police about her deep-seated resentment towards YouTube. You can actually find images of her like holding protest signs with YouTube censorship. Problem with YouTube, so 
we called that cop. Is her brother again and told him that she might. There's a reason she went all the way from San Diego to that. The first call for help came in at 12.46 local time. This is crazy. We're on lockdown. Two minutes later, first responders arrived. This officer bursting out of his vehicle with that long gun, a YouTube employee right there on the staircase using his key to let the officer into the complex. It was very chaotic, as you can imagine. Police moving forward, finding hundreds of YouTube employees, their hands raised, searching each of them. The wounded scrambling out of the YouTube complex, some of them still bleeding. Inside the Carl's Jr. in San Bruno, medical aid. Good Samaritans stanching the wounds with napkins from nearby restaurants. We really didn't. We just kind yeah. of acted out of instinct and uh, tried to do what we can to help, you know, just kind of stop the bleeding. And wow. Huh? Talk about on, on location responses there. Uh, and uh, so you got the brother and the father who says that, so you got the brother and the father, both of them. The Saying father of Nassim yeah. Agdam told CBS News his daughter was very upset with YouTube and he warned police about her. Her numerous videos touch on a wide range of subjects and include parodies. Police believe the people she shot were chosen at random. Yeah, man. I mean, when I see this kind of story, I, I, I mean, obviously this is a, this is an individual who took her. But uh, there's so many things that come to my mind about this story. First of all, she may simply be a victim of complete machine automation. There may not have been an individual at YouTube who did any one thing that upset her. It may have all been completely automated. And and you know what? How many times has our show been... been, (laughs) Like, we completely got pulled down a week ago. Yeah, well, they've been hijacked by an automated system, uh, you know, content ID and and matching and all that stuff. So, and obviously, recently, YouTube made some changes to the smaller content creators out there and pulling them out of the partner program. Uh, I read into her history a little bit and also uh, found out that... A lot of her videos were and include par- uh, demonetized, uh, and she, you know, tried to f- appeal them and failed. They, they marked her uh, videos, uh, you know, sensitive content, yeah. uh, and also basically kind of blocked them in a way where you would have to click the allowed to see the video, kind of like a an adult restriction almost. So, I mean, to you know, I'm not excusing this at all. I'm just saying though, she reached her breaking point, um, and and then she made the trip. <sighs> Yeah, I don't want to be the guy that says YouTube needs to wake the F up no. because it's not that. It's she no. was crazy and the parents knew she was crazy. Yeah. Uh, and it's so it's it, I, I hate that, uh, that so many times the shooter was was known ahead of time, but just couldn't be stopped. It's very rare, though, in this kind of instance. Uh, I mean, it's not usually women. That, that do these kind of things. Yeah, I know that. It, and you know what? NBC it's very rare. NBC went out of their way to make that point. Today's incident at YouTube, just the latest in a long string of workplace shootings across the country. 2015, 14 dead in a terror attack at a San Bernardino public health office. Over the years, dozens more killed at a naval facility, a beer distributor, post offices, and many more. From 1982 through 2018, 96 workplace mass shootings. 94 of them carried out by male shooters, just a single shooter was female. 
The San Bernardino attack carried out by a man and a woman. It's very rare that we see a female shooter in a violence in a workplace scenario. We've seen them. We've seen them at companies across the country. But again, it's usually the male that's acting out with a weapon or a firearm like this. A study released by the Secret Service just last week found nearly half of mass shooting suspects were motivated by a personal grievance, often retaliating for a perceived wrong. <laughs> that's interesting right there in itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I guess, you know, what, what it really is, is you, you just can't plan. You can't plan for the crazy factor. And when you look at her content, I have a, a link to an archive version of her website in the show notes to it, unfiltered.show slash 275. There's just no accounting for crazy, Chase. She is legit upset. Yeah. yeah. I don't think that YouTube has really fully thought through all of the impact they have on the people that are on their platform. I'm not trying to justify that lady's actions. She's pure crazy. But the fact that the cops knew that she was there, they'd seen her ahead of time at 2 a.m. Now, now to be completely fair on this, and and I don't want to pin all this on over our law enforcement community, legally, there's not much they can do. Yeah. And it's one of those things where, yeah, she was sleeping in her car, okay, uh, maybe she was breaking a parking law, you know, yeah. that sort of thing. But they can't just keep her. Yeah. She's an adult. I know. She hasn't broken any laws. Yeah. And that's all there is to it. So yeah. you, you can't put this on the police. I don't know. There's a lot of people that go, hey, they knew. Well, you know, they can't put it all on them. I just can't. I just can't. All right. Well, uh, the FBI has launched an investigation of itself. This should surely produce something interesting. The Justice Department Inspector General is opening an investigation into Republican charges that the FBI and DOJ were biased in their work on the Trump-Russia probe. This move stops short of fulfilling calls from many in the GOP for a special counsel to look into the matter. Tonight, correspondent Peter Ducey tells us why some people see an inherent conflict. Now, don't let the Brett Bear trigger you. Um, <laughs> you know what it does for me. I Wait, I like how you say the Brett Bear. <laughs> Dude, when you're the Brett Bear, it is you 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 deserve the the, the. unfiltered.show slash two seventy-five. I have a link in there of text messages between the individuals they're discussing. And it's one of those where the the individual who decided to investigate this is a Democrat. He he saw he saw these text messages and he's like, oh shit. Well, I got I got no other option. Than to look into this because these Republicans are making a big stink out of this, and it's right there in plain text. Tonight, correspondent Peter Ducey tells us why some people see an inherent conflict. Good evening, Peter. Good evening, Brett. These questions about whether or not the FBI's surveillance capabilities were abused for political purposes ahead of the 2016 election are no longer just coming from Republican members of Congress. Because- and the Unfilter Show. I mean, we've been talking about the use of the FISA court for oh, years on the way show. Way before this. Way before the election. Way before, way before the election, right? Probably, what, episode 180. Two no, knocks. no, way before that. One hundred. I'd say even. I'd say even in five seventies. No. <laughs> maybe, maybe actually. I don't know. Ahead of the twenty sixteen election are no longer just coming from Republican members of Congress because the official with the resources to root out criminal violations at the FBI has opened a case. The Federal Bureau of Investigation is now under investigation itself by the Justice Department Inspector General trying to see if anyone in the ranks broke the rules when convincing federal judges to sign off on the surveillance of an American citizen. Inspector General Michael Horowitz says, quote, as part of this examination, the OIG 
also will review information that was known to the DOJ and the FBI at the time the applications were filed from or about an alleged FBI confidential source. Republicans alleged in the Nunes memo that information from former British spy Christopher Steele, compiled in an unverified dossier, was key to that FISA warrant. This announcement comes as the FBI Director Christopher Wray doubles the number of staffers helping sort through documents that Republican lawmakers subpoenaed because they were so delayed, from 27 staffers to 54. Ray writes that, quote, the actual number of documents responsive to this request is likely in the thousands. Regardless, I agree that the current pace of production is too slow. By dramatically expanding the number of staffers assigned to sift through documents Republicans want, Ray is defying Democrats like the ranking member of the House Judiciary Committee, Gerald Nadler, who recently said, quote, it seems that this subpoena is intended to speed up that production to pivot the discussion back to Hillary Clinton and divert attention from the chaos surrounding the Trump administration and allegations involving the Trump campaign. The order to beef up the bureau's staff assigned to help Congress came straight from the top. According to a DOJ insider who tells Fox, quote, senior staff on both sides of the street have met on this and the FBI is getting called to the carpet. The attorney general is angry with how slow the process has moved when it comes to requests from Congress to the FBI. But some Republicans still think Sessions is acting like an Obama appointee. And I'm sorry, but Attorney General Sessions, I don't see much of a difference between him and Loretta Lynch and Eric Holder. I mean, what's the difference? When you issue a subpoena from Congress, it's just a suggestion. It's just a request. There's no no urgency that you have to hit it by the deadline. These extra FBI staffers now working to speed up their response to Republican requests for documents are not just planning to produce information about FISA abuse. They are also tasked with finding emails and texts and memos about the Clinton server investigation as Republicans continue to probe why nobody ever got in trouble. Oh, man, it's just going to be endless. I mean, part, part of me is happy that at least there's going to be some accountability. But another part of me is like, it's just never going to end. But, you know, this this is so... Yes, thank you for, you know, everybody stepping up to play here. You know, when you see something, you're supposed to say something. And <laughs> if you see something, say something. Sorry. Yes. But on top of that, though, I, I think we need to see it all the way around, though, when there there are situations where it is just plainly wrong based on a legal measure. If, you know, part, you know, it, so you're it saying you're in you're in favor of this. No, what I'm saying, though, is, you know, if someone's stepping up to the plate and saying something because, you know, they, they just saw something, they saw or the whatever, text messages, right. Or? You know, it shouldn't matter about party. It shouldn't. I agree. It, it should matter. I agree. About legality. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just so sick of it. I'm just so sick of it. I just wanted to end. I want them to get back to running the government. That's never going to happen. <laughs> You're probably right. Yes. Wise words. Yes. All right. Let's talk about this Russia poisoning. NBC has recreated the moments after the attack. Like did they use Google Maps or something? Or? Nope. Just speculation. Oh. <laughs> I'm Richard Engel. Tonight, new clues that could solve what's been a week's-long mystery. Just how were former Russian spy Sergei Skripal and his daughter poisoned with a nerve agent that left them critically ill? Actually... And this is one of the reasons I decided to make this our intro clip. As of today, it's been one month. Wow, already? A lot has happened, though. So yes, we've had it has. We've had diplomats uh, or, or, you know, slash spies kicked out of lots of countries. We've had new sanctions proposed. We've had calls for emergency UN councils in, you know, 30 days. Like, it's amazing to see how governments around the world can really act when they need to yes. or want to. Yeah. 
we've reconstructed their last known movements on March 4th in Salisbury, England. At 1.30, they set out from home for drinks at this pub, followed by lunch around the corner. At 3.35, they left the restaurant and soon collapsed on a nearby park bench. So they've been to a lot of places. Okay. Chemical weapons expert Hamish de Breton Gordon walked us through the crime scene. So someone who's not involved with the investigation at all, but By is... the way, what do you think they're shooting this on? Not an iPhone. You, well, you, I don't know if you noticed, but it's definitely something gimbalized. Yeah, oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's a GoPro. Yeah. I mean, if they are, they're doing some post-processing to unbezel that image. Yes, you know, <laughs> yes. But, or bevel or whatever they call right, it. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. So I find this to be an interesting tactic is they bring in somebody who is within a position to speak on the subject matter. They're maybe familiar with the chemicals involved or the spy craft involved. But they are completely unfamiliar with the exact situation at hand, which means they are completely 100 percent qualified to speculate. Isn't oh. that – and so All right. who else does the nightly news go to than somebody who is completely <laughs> qualified to speculate? Chemical weapons expert Hamish de Breton Gordon walked us through the crime scene. Heading towards the sort of center of town. He thinks the fast-acting poison was likely smeared on something they touched. This stuff, if breathed in, can kill you instantaneously. If absorbed through the skin, which I think is the, the case in this particular attack, then within, within minutes, if not hours. British authorities now say they think the poison was left on Skripal's front door. Now, the chat room points out, and you can see in this photo that, boy, if uh, – oh, I should scroll up just to really get the full effect. But if if it's on the front door, why have they been just uh, casually standing next to oh, the – because it because probably it's already been decontaminated and everything. You would think so, right? Yeah, yeah. Except for they have completely quarantined off the park benches that they died on. They've closed off the roads around that park. They have Oh, so it wasn't the front door. <laughs> Maybe. Because, I don't well, know. Because if it was, I wouldn't be standing that close. Yeah, I mean they they literally closed the roads around the park to prevent exposure to the park benches. But this is okay. Got but, it. <laughs> <laughs> hanging out. Yeah, I, I don't know what to make of that. That's I don't, interesting. Yeah, that is. Isn't it? And right here in this photo, you wouldn't even think they'd be that close. Well, wait a minute. Are, you, are we sure that's not an edit? No. Or are they Photoshop? But, or... No, but let's assume she is standing in the front yard, like it seems to be. Right. Even if she's 35 feet from the front door, you would think they would at least have some tape up since they've they've blocked off the entire park Actually, where they Actually, to died. be fair, maybe they have the tape up like farther out that we don't see. Okay. Yeah, it could be. It could be. I'm just saying. I'm just throwing these out there. Totally. Totally could be that. (laughs) British authorities now say they think the poison was left on Skripal's front door. The Kremlin strongly denies it was involved. But Boris Karpich... Now, so the Kremlin has released, I think it's 12 or 13 questions uh, that are like, here's some basic questions we have about your investigation. And the Russian embassy Twitter account tweeted them out. So if you want to read them, you can. I have linked to one of them in the show notes. Um, and they're pretty good questions, actually. <laughs> they're really, they're pretty good. There's some, there's some really good questions in there. But uh, instead of addressing that, they just give you a quick mention here on the NBC News. And what we'll do instead is we go to a uh, former Russian uh, double agent. And uh, we get him to tell you how awful Putin is. I'll, I'll spare you uh, that he believes that Putin is a bad guy. Um, but there is a there is there is an interesting element. Uh, they think that maybe Christopher Steele, the Trump dossier guy, could be on a hit list. And I don't think anyone really expected this. There is a bit of a recovery in the works. And Christopher Steele, author of the infamous Trump Russia dossier. 
And Richard joins us now from London. Richard, tell me more about this hit list. Uh, while we have no way to independently verify the claim of that hit list, a former British intelligence officer familiar with Russia tells us it certainly is plausible. And tonight we're hearing new information that Skripal's daughter's health is improving. What? She's reportedly conscious uh -oh. and talking. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Oh, boy. Uh-oh. Hmm. So that could be interesting to see where yeah. that goes. Yeah, yeah, that could be very interesting. The chief of a British military laboratory said it was unable to determine the precise source of the nerve agent used in the attack. That casts doubt on earlier statements that blamed Russia directly. So you remember when we were doing weapons of mass destruction, you had the intelligence agencies who said, we can't fully confirm that uh, Saddam has weapons of mass dest destruction. But then you had the Bush administration saying, well... We are using their information as well as other sources of information. And when we combine them all, it clearly indicates that Saddam has weapons of mass destruction. That is exactly what's happening right now. So the office in the UK that is responsible for analyzing this entire thing can't actually say it's Russia. They don't actually have any indication that it is Russia. But the UK government's going, well, but you know what? We're using that as many sources. So I'll play this. You be the judge. That casts doubt on earlier statements that blamed Russia directly. We have not verified the precise source, um, but we provided the scientific information to the government. But you have not been able to establish at Porton Down that this was made in Russia. As I said, it's our job to provide, you know, the scientific evidence that identifies what, what it is. the particular nerve agent is, but it's not our job to then say where that yeah. actually was manufactured. So to be clear, you're not able at Porton Down to say where it is from? We haven't yet been able to do that. Now, why that matters, um, because that seems totally reasonable. You know, they can identify what it yeah. is, but they can't yeah, tell you. scientific stuff. Totally yep. seems reasonable. That yep, makes sense. The issue is, is that the politicians have been quoting them as the source of it came from Russia. But when I look at the, at the evidence, I mean, the people from, from Porton Down, they were absolutely categorical. And I asked the guy myself, I said, are you sure? And he said, there's no doubt. Yeah, uh, there's, been, uh. there's been quite a bit of backlash for that. Turns out there's a bit of a dial down now. So now what it is, is the sophistication level of the attack could uh. only have been pulled off by Russia. Another little spin. Ergo, it must have gotten improved directly by Putin. The UK Defence Research Laboratory, however, maintains that the substance used is Novichok, a military-grade nerve agent. The British government swiftly moved to defend its position by claiming that its accusations against Russia remain valid despite this latest revelation from Porton Down. It says it's working from a larger intelligence picture and that Russia has a record of state-sponsored assassinations and views its former intelligence officers as targets. Britain also says there's no other explanation it deems plausible. But with scientists unable to verify the source, it's possible London may have jumped the gun, as Morad Gazdiev explains. Scotland Yard said it first. They need time. This was a professional assassination attempt. Whoever did it made sure to leave as few traces as possible. An investigation of this complexity and size will understandably take some time and we ask for the public's continued support and patience. 
the media. Actually, uh, they didn't. I don't, I don't know why they didn't even play the whole quote. The whole quote is they asked for three months <laughs> is what they asked for. Didn't need much time. Pundits forewent the whole boring, you know, investigation part. But that's the media. No surprise. They need their ratings. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, you know, I've been watching RT for a long time, and I've come to uh, an understanding with these sons of bitches. Um, <laughs> if they mock it, there's a good sh- – so R- what RT doesn't want is they don't want a highlight reel of them claiming something wasn't true when it was true because the mainstream media runs with it. Yeah. So generally, if it's something that Moscow is responsible for, RT just doesn't say a thing. They're silent on the subject. They're quiet because they really, really, really got burned a couple of times. I don't know if you remember um, after Liz, there was the redhead that we used to talk about all the time that we don't talk about anymore. Abby, Abby, Abby Martin, Abby Martin, who's still doing Empire Files. She's still still doing her own thing. She's really kind of become a pretty strong independent uh, content producer. But there was they, – they, they tried to get Abby to, to do a certain thing on RT. And it blew up in their face. And ever since the Abbey backfire, they just they just don't say anything. So when RT hits it really hard and they kind of have a mocking tone, I I don't know. There you could read that different ways. Politicians, they only needed a week. It is highly likely that Russia was responsible. We do hold Russia culpable. Culpable. Culpable for the attempted murder. Russia is cap- is culpable. Our quarrel is with Putin's Kremlin, and we think it overwhelmingly likely that it was his decision. What? That's the problem. Uh, yeah, you know what You know what? Axion in the chat room points out? You know what they need, Chase, is more cameras. Ah, that's if they just had more surveillance. If, only if the UK had just another camera, maybe yeah. one in the mailbox. A couple more cameras. One on the light pole. Just one right there in the door peephole. Just right, put right, a, on, right on the horseshoe. Yeah. That's put right one of those there. large aspect ratio, like bubble cams. So that way you just get a the, wide angle. Yeah. Just a yeah. simple wide angle. Get the whole, whole thing. The special session of the Organization for the Prohibition of Chemical Weapons is due to be held Wednesday. So what he just said, and it's really hard to understand, and I think this is part of the problem, is there is a UN group all about dangerous, deadly chemical weapons. And there are members of this group, um, and uh, your friend and mine, My the, buddy. the Western nations, are part of that. So is your good buddy. Oh, my friend? One of my friends? Vlad. Oh, He's part good. of this as well. And so as a part of this group, they have the power to call for an emergency session. Russia has called for an international investigation via the UN as an arbiter to determine the cause of this chemical poisoning attack. Now, that's not something that I would expect from the guilty party, but that's what this news anchor just told you. Session of the Organization for the Prohibition of Chemical Weapons is due to be held Wednesday. Moscow called for the meeting over the poisoning of former double agent Sergei Skripal and his daughter Yulia in the UK. The organization has said that some of the questions posed by Russia could be answered as early as this evening. Yeah, and so these are some of the questions that they that they run through the clip, uh, which we could. They're actually they're really good questions. They're to, they're they're totally worth asking, but uh, they don't they don't voice them. So I'll just skip ahead. Meanwhile, several British media outlets have come up with theories of their own. Anastasia Cherkina breaks down some of them for us. 
tomorrow will actually mark the one man month anniversary since the Skripal saga started. Uh, yet we haven't seen any real proof and Russia is still waiting for that with open arms. And while all of this has been unraveling, we've certainly seen the press here in the UK living it up with catchy headlines and uh, deciphering curious details of living what could have happened with this whole incident. Um, one of the ones that's been circula circulating around recently, one about a so-called secret bank account. There's been reportedly stories going around that Yulia Skripal, the daughter of Sergei Skripal, who has been in coma with him as in, in, the, in the hospital, she had gained access just day, days before the poisoning to about 200 thousand dollars. This was connected to her deceased brother who had died a year ago and the media have been talking about whether or not this has any connection to what happened with them. It's like a, it's like a backup plan. Like, oh, she's surviving? Smear, smear, smear. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I don't know what to make of any of this because we're so far away. Uh, but it, it's interesting. Here we are one month and the uh, folks doing the investigation asked for three months. Yeah. We, we Here in Seattle, we're, we're closing down. The I, Russian embassies. Mm -hmm, yeah. Closing it down. Yeah. Our consulate, sorry. Whatever. The but, house. No, I mean. The house of spies. We, we talked about the whole evidence thing and I think it was last week I said, you know, we really don't know what we don't know, right? We don't know if they, they know some secret information or some stuff. Now we're finding out that the uh, scientific investigative wing is saying, well, we, we know what the chemical is, but we haven't been able to determine the source. All right, so either someone's not telling us something or this was completely, uh, I mean, or, or the uh, yeah. origin is completely false. You know, I mean, we don't know. If this is one of those... At if, least the if, public. If you are fired up about this topic, like if this is the sh if this is the topic of the show that you're currently the most passionate about, go check out the at Russia Embassy USA or whatever it is. I got it linked in the show notes uh, where they have the 12 questions or whatever it is, um, because what you'll realize is that we as uh, average citizens who don't deal with chemical weapons have no freaking clue what's involved with a chemical weapons investigation. And the only reason why this has gotten as much momentum as it has is because the public is stupid as shit about this stuff and the media can say whatever they want or Theresa May can say whatever she wants and yeah. we are too ignorant to understand what's involved in a proper investigation. Yep. So we just take it at the face value. So I'll give the Russian embassy Twitter account that. They're, I don't know about their questions, but reading those questions because they're like they're uh, quotes from like the international UN body uh, rules, like oh, oh yeah, of course that would have to, of course they would have to have source samples in order to verify that they were from from Russia, and of course they would need to be able to cite that in in an investigation, and they haven't done that. Like there's all of this stuff that you read and you go. Oh, yeah. I don't know anything about a chemical weapons investigation. And when you read these questions, you're like, how can we have not answered these yet? Exactly. <laughs> it's so weird. Let's shift, while we're talking about Russia, let's shift gears and go uh, to the Russia investigation. Uh, your good buddy. My friend. Judge Napolitano. The judge. Was uh, on Fox to tell us about the biggest hint yet in the direction of Bob's investigation. Robert Mueller and the scope of his investigation and the powers that he has. Well, he has now found, found that the Trump campaign's Rick Gates uh, knew he was speaking to this Russian intel agent. What do we know about this? This is the, uh, uh, the, the biggest hint that Bob Mueller has, uh, has shown us of the existence of what 
non-lawyers are calling collusion. The legal term is conspiracy to receive something of value from a foreign person, entity, or government when you're running a federal campaign. That very agreement uh, is criminal. So Bob Gates has apparently told, excuse me, Rick Gates has apparently told Bob Mueller, among many other things, yeah, when I was in the campaign, I was speaking to this Russian intelligence agent. Wow, what were you speaking about? Were you getting information from him? Were you getting anything of value from him? Remember, Gates is Manafort's partner before, during, and after the campaign. Gates has pleaded guilty to a small fraction of what he was charged with and is now a treasure trove uh, for Bob Mueller. I mean, at least you can say that, right? So what else are we going to learn on this front? Where will Mueller go with that new information? As you called it, he's really only giving us a hint at what he's saying. Correct, correct. The interesting question is, why is he hinting at this? I think he's hinting at it because he wants to say to the no collusion crowd, which is many well-intended people, where's the collusion? Uh, I have something here. I'm not going to show all of it to you until I develop it more. He's obviously going to uh, develop it more. Uh, Person A, whose name we don't know, is obviously a a Russian official who's Mm -hmm. not going to come to the U.S. because the minute he does, they'll arrest him. Judge Andrew Napolitano. Thanks, Judge. Wow. So, so interestingly, that that was on Fox, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know. Well, you know, because there, there, has, I think has not been, on Fox and Friends. Though. I think there has clearly been enough. Um, well, I, I guess I'll rephrase it like this: I bet you, if you dug deep enough, you would find deep collusion with the Mexican government and the Canadian government, and probably any major government. Oh, how can, I, how can I not think the Israeli government, right? Maybe it's time to bring it all down, right? <laughs> it's like which, it's like whatever whatever hole you want to go down, yeah, you'll true. find it. Yeah. Uh, I've I've thought that for a long time. Right. But but the part I does guess, it represent a newer like renewed effort. It's tough because you're going you're, you're going to hear about well what about this person then what about this and, and you know you're going to keep going back you know 20, 30, 40 years, you know, where does it stop? What what I'm what I'm hoping for is maybe a return to to some truth and at least a return to some normalcy and you know where and I think this is part of the reason why we don't hear much from Mueller because he's got an immense amount of pressure I believe where you know he's been tasked with this investigation he's he's trying in my opinion to be very uber thorough I I think I, about how history is going to look at this yeah I, I have a friend of mine who's just like. Come on, Bob. Will you do something already? And I keep telling him he's got one shot at this. He needs to be thorough and and legit because if he screws this up in any potential way, he'll have every historian for the rest of time. And it's not just historians. It's 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 our government. It's yeah. it's politics. It's everything. So, I mean, a lot of people think he's at doing a headhunt. No, I think he's just being uber thorough. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, no, I don't. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I and think there's so. no timeline in his world. He doesn't care about midterms. He yeah. doesn't care about 2020. He's financed as with this budget. He's financed for another year. Yeah, he do, he doesn't he doesn't care about timelines. Hmm. Um. So there was a there was a a story this week that's that I don't think much. There hasn't been much with Donald Trump so far that has uh, surprised me. <clears throat> because a lot of it goes back to either campaign promises or it goes back to um, reactions to uh, what's going on. Right. And there's like a – I can follow the logic process. Um, but this next story did really kind of surprise me. 
until I had the full context. But the headline you may have seen may have shocked you as well. And that is Donald Trump is sending the military to the border. And it, it was a slow build this week. It started with comments from the president. Look at Korea. We have a border at Korea. This is a live event. We have a wall of soldiers. We don't get paid very much for this, do we? We have, you look at that, nobody comes through. All right, so he's, he, first off, he's talking about the DMZ. Uh, he's talking about something that was formed in 1950s, and they're still technically at war, by the way. They, you know, this is just an armistice. I guess not quite equivalent to Mexico. This is, is not the same thing. I'm sorry. I, I mean, you're right. I know what kind I of guess example I kind of see he's his going point, with. though, yeah. I, I, do, I, I do see where he's going. This is a good tactic. I think this is genuinely a good so tactic. So are we at war with Mexico? Is that what he's is he trying to imply? I didn't take it there myself. No, uh, no, I know, but I'm just saying, like, you have North Korea and South Korea still technically at war with each other. Yeah, they have yeah. military troops at. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fair point. No, I follow you. you. Know, it's I hadn't taken it there. You're yeah. right. It is not the same. Yeah, it is not the same. Yeah, it is not. However, um, if you don't go that far, because what you've done is you've gone, okay, I take your logical conclusion and I take it to the very next logical conclusion. <laughs> yeah, was what true. you've done. Yeah, that's true. But if you You're stop right. and you go. Well, what the hell? Why are we paying for these guys' border? We're not paying for our own border. We right. don't take care of it. Think of it. We spend billions of dollars in other countries maintaining their borders, and we can't maintain our borders in our own country. I think that super resonates. I think that, and I don't use that lightly. I, I think that, I think that maybe, dare I say, you ready for this, Chase? You ready? Yeah, I'm ready. I dare say that hyper resonates with the base. Hyper, yeah. Hyper resonates with the base. Like a like a triggering almost. But you know what I'm saying there? Yeah, like, yeah, totally. Like, like, how can we pay all this money and barely make anything in this other country? Like, I think that I think that plays. Their borders, and we can't maintain our borders in our own country. Is there something a little bit wrong with that? Think of it. We spend billions and billions of dollars. Look, North and South Korea. 32,000 soldiers. Their finest equipment, barbed wire all over the place. You think it's kind of funny that he keeps doing this wavy body motion? He, he's, he's, he's drawing the, the border with his hand. That's what he's doing. He must have been looking at it recently. Though. Yeah. It's just interesting to see him make that body motion. Yeah. Because it's, I don't know, it's so, it's so animated. Yeah, yeah. He, he moves his arm. His arm he's is... Trying to, he's trying to emphasize that their border's not straight. Yeah, it's, it's curvy. I'm just saying this man's body, this 70-year-old man's body <laughs> is looser than mine. I the, can't, I no, can't move you, my you, body you, like that. You mean this healthy, yeah. 100% healthy... Great genes. Great genes. Great guy. genes. Yes. And soldiers, their finest equipment, barbed wire all over the place. We protect that whole thing. Nobody comes through but our country... We don't do it. Uh, things are changing, folks. But now is the time to rebuild our country, to take care of our people, and to fight for our great American workers for a change. So it starts to build this conversation about the border and sending the troops down there. And um, I think Donald Trump is one of these men who is really good at dealing with the week's emergency. Um, and and he's he, you know he takes in a lot of different information sources, and he I think is also really perceptive to what plays well with what is commonly called his quote base, 
which I would describe as the economic disadvantaged in America, which is the majority. Um, but his base, we'll just, just just to make it easy, we'll say his base. Uh, so he is really good, I think, at reading the the mood, the tempo of his base. And when and when his base is upset about something, he often responds on Twitter, or he'll even go as far as taking executive action. And I will give you uh, Exhibit A of what I believe is an upset Donald Trump base. This is from the New York Times Obviously, opinion. Obviously, you and I could um, talk for hours about our differences on Trump, but that's not why I want to talk to you today, as you know. In recent days, you've inaugurated the phrase former Trumpers. So uh, this is somebody who's pretty well known as being a big Donald Trump fan, Ann Coulter. What are former Trumpers and why should he be terrified of them? The former Trumpers should should keep Donald Trump awake at night. We're the ones who didn't care about the Access Hollywood tape. He had absolute rock solid locked us in on support because we thought we wouldn't be betrayed. Finally, finally. He could sell Ivanka Trump merchandise from the Oval Office if he would just build the wall. If he doesn't have us anymore, <laughs> no, that's what he should be worried about because you're... You play those people for suckers, the one who stood by him through thick and thin and thought this was finally something different. Finally, we have a politician who's not going to lie to us. No, former Trumpers should put the fear of God in him. And I think wow. that's exactly what's been going on. And wow, that's that's a great clip, by the way. That's a really good clip because, you you know, I've always said it, you know, you ha- and I've, I've said it many times on the show, the people that voted for the president uh, were people that were tired. They were. They didn't want a Hillary rewind. They didn't want some sort of you know political show game. They wanted somebody to, to drain the swamp, to shake things up, to make things happen, to fix the economy for them, to fix things. And 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 now with you know and with with trade tariffs and those kind of things, and and those will affect people that work in agricultural businesses. And I know a lot of those people voted for him. They voted for him because he wasn't a politician. Right. They voted for him because they thought he was a deal maker, that he was going to make things good for them again. You know, the, the whole tagline. That's the significance of the wall. That's all of this somehow has gotten into the wall and immigration. For the President Trump tonight signaling a dramatic escalation in his crackdown on illegal immigration. Until we can have a wall and proper security, we're going to be guarding our border with the military. That's a big step. Later saying he'll be meeting with Defense Secretary Jim Mattis. I think that it's something we have to do. The Pentagon now readying options. So could we see U.S. troops patrolling the border? It wouldn't be unprecedented. The Obama administration sent 1,200 National Guard members to the southern border in 2010 to combat drug smuggling. President Trump's complaint about weak U.S. border security now in its third day. We have horrible, horrible and very unsafe laws in the United States. Despite the number of people arrested trying to cross illegally into the U.S. from Mexico last year, plunging to its lowest level since 1971, Mr. Trump is seizing on reports of a caravan of migrants, claiming credit for stopping them. Did you hear about these reports of a caravan of migrants? And this, and this, this, this whole story is an inaccuracy Suppo- of... Supposedly like some nonprofit was going down there and advertising to them that they can come in and they can ask for amnesty and they have an 80% chance of... And they're not from Mexico. They're traveling through Mexico. That's true. That's true. Yeah. That is, I think they're yeah. from Guatemala, I believe. Yeah, yeah. And this is something that happens yearly. They don't break through the border. They don't like sneak across. They do it legitimately. 
They you know, they gotta, do it through the process. You take advantage of a situation. I know, Chase. but that's the, how the political but, game works. I, I mean, the story goes, and I I did not confirm this with my sources, but the story goes. He saw this on Fox and Friends. He saw the story happening, and immediately tweeted about it. I mean, it, it, almost immediately. A Honduras, thank you, the Wetsy. In their trek north, like, Come on. I have just heard that the caravan coming up from just heard Honduras is broken up and Mexico did that. And they did it because, frankly, I said, you really have to do it. Mexican authorities didn't address that claim, but said they were offering protections to some of the migrants and deporting others. The president today also reinforcing his support for Baltic allies anxious about their own shared border with Russia, repeatedly touting a tough track record, despite having never publicly condemned Vladimir Putin. Probably nobody's been tougher to Russia than Donald Trump. You know, probably. Probably. So, uh, what's the definition of probably? Maybe, I don't maybe. Know. <laughs> <laughs> See, maybe. <laughs> okay, so, um, so it's been building. It's been building. Send the troops. Send the troops. Send the troops. Send the troops. Today, the Homeland Secretary Security said, "Yeah, we're going to send the troops." It's time to act. So let's talk a little bit about that today. In an effort to prevent such a consequence, the president has directed that the Department of Defense and the Department of Homeland Security work together with our governors to deploy the National Guard to our southwest border to assist the Border Patrol. The president will be signing a proclamation to that effect today. So an executive order to send the National Guard. And I got to wonder, is there a money-making opportunity? Like, could I go down there and cook? Is there a way for for me to make some uh, side hustle on this? Because uh, that seems like whenever you send a large group of people to an area, all of a sudden, they immediately need services. So if anybody has any ideas, tweet me at Chris Elias. I'll jump on Lady Jupes and I'll podcast from the border as uh, I make a new living. But in the meantime, we have nothing but high notes left, Mr. Chase. So yes, uh, do you want to, I don't know, maybe I just can't. look at the sack for this Well, week? you know, before I jump into the sack, I, I do want to uh, uh, spend a word because I, I know that our audience might be thinking about something right now. And they're like, well, you haven't had any uh, stories about Sinclair. Um, and, oh, yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. Actually, <laughs> just disclaimer, I will cover it. I have some clips yes. for the overtime coming. Yeah. And, and Chris and I talked about that ahead of time. Uh, but as some of you may know, I, I work for a local TV station in the area, Como Television, KOMO, Channel 4, and which is uh, owned uh, in our parent company, Sinclair Broadcast Group. And I want to be abundantly clear, I am speaking on my own accord. I'm not speaking on behalf of the company or anybody there, but I can't comment on the current things that are that are happening right now uh, with with everything with that. I can say that I enjoy tremendously what I do, and the people that work there at the station uh, are truly dedicated uh, to covering news, uh, keeping those powerful people accountable with what they do, and just generally are awesome people. And so I just want you, while you, you may agree or disagree with things that are happening right now, please uh, give respect to those hardworking people that truly love doing what they do. And I'm hoping that, you know, in the end of this you know, we can all be happy, respect one each other, and, and listen to each other. And uh, that's all I have to say about it. But feel free, if you want, you can tweet me, and I can uh, there you go. try to fill in more for you. You know, Mr. Chase, too, like, I'll remind people, too, like, you know, you're working down in the bowels of the IT. You're doing you're doing engineering the, and IT. Yep. You're doing the good work of the technology department uh, down there. So you're not even involved in that. No, in I'm the, not inv- involved in anything. Yeah. As a matter of fact, 
If you really want to know what I've been like up to my eyeballs in right now is our weather system. I've been working in our yeah, weather system. Yeah, but that s- sounds super cool. Like, yeah, there's some cool like tech yeah, in that. Yeah, new new uh, new graphics, yeah. new new weather yeah. maps and models and radar. But, you know, That's the nice thing the on. nice thing is <laughs> you know what it is is like the nice thing is is like you get to be buddy buddy with the reporters. Yeah. You get to like be the fly on the wall, but you don't have to have like the responsibility of <laughs> any of what goes on the air. There, is, there, there is pressure there. Absolutely. That's nice. Um, and yeah. you know. I I, I I get to see everybody from the general manager to the anchors to the to the reporters, photographers, and, and you know fellow engineers, salespeople. Oh my gosh, it's, it's awesome! Cooper. It's it's a great place to be. Great people and Anderson Cooper and Anderson Cooper. So hey, let's jump into the sack. We had a great sack this week. I remembered to send it ahead of time. So remember, if you're part of Club Thirty Three, head over to the sack. I sent out an email about uh, once a week. Uh, before the show, so keep an eye open. Veratuna says, hey, I really think, aside from the big international stuff like wars, accusations, and expulsions, we really need to drill down into this whole suppressing of views and the shutting down of debate on a massive scale. Aside from the Sinclair exposure, which, which let's face it, is neither isolated nor a surprise, <laughs> and the total lack of coverage of the Gaza shootings, which is disturbing, the fact that one user got so fed up of being censored by YouTube, she went postal and started shooting people should be a red flag to everyone. So do you think there is a... Oh, that is it. So Veritunda is drawing a line between sort of consolidated media and YouTube, which is also consolidated by Google. Yeah, Actually, I see that line now. Yeah, that's, totally. that's a really good theme there. I see that. We already know how every single week on Filter is flagged for one thing or another. Yeah. But it's, it's not happening more and more too. But it's not alone, I am sure. You know what? Also, just a quick pause. Yeah. You guys only like and that's only a percentage of you, because most of you are downloading on audio, but a percentage of you notice when we get flagged on YouTube. Absolutely. When it gets completely pulled down. But almost Every single week we get a copyright strike and the way it works on YouTube now is they just demonetize the video, but they allow it to continue to stay. stay. And behind the scenes, I'm fighting on the grounds of fair use. Yeah, Chris is filing requests all the time. And the video never gets pulled. It's only when it's like this massive violation. So you guys probably see one out of 10 times where we're fighting with YouTube publicly. Yeah. Uh, will we ever get to see in an awakening that things are as horribly broken and it's up to everyone to try to fix it? Maybe. I, I think you're starting to see that a little bit right now with the Facebook situation and the privacy. Eh, a little know, bit. Man. A little bit. I mean, I'm people, not dignify that with people an are starting to realize a little bit, but they're not like, oh, well. I think it's the know. beginning yeah. of the realization that your information and the signals that you send to these companies is at least of some value. Like we've begun that process. Yeah. And I think it's going to be a multi-year process. Michael writes in and says, hey, in regards to all the tariff disputes, is this just political posturing? It seems that there would be, uh, you know, there would be need to be an economic collapse to turn the tides of this complex. There there would have to be. Uh, The U.S. economy is far too dependent on China, and a negotiator like Trump can only make a bigly deal when he stands in the greater position of power. Trump can't fix it. And, oh, Nancy, the establishment politicians who created the environment for Trump to thrive don't want to fix it. I know we have the enigmatic, sorry, I can't speak today, Sheriff Woody, but is there anyone else in our political system that we can count on? Seriously, as I get off my soapbox, who are some of the politicians you gentlemen believe can make a difference right now? Fisher Nunes 2020? Of course, I'm referring to Antoine and Devin, respectively. (laughs) Is there anybody, you know... I've said this, you know, I might have said this before. 
don't you know the the way you make change in this kind of thing is you know starting at a more local level you know bringing fresh new ideas and you know maybe going in as an independent or libertarian candidate and just starting the where grassroots stuff in yeah. my opinion it, yeah. it, you look at what Gary Johnson tried to do yeah he got like 4% you're not going to make a big impact nationally. No, you got to start no, small. No, I think I think the way to really make a difference is to uh, abandon ship, go to like somewhere like New Zealand, uh, <laughs> and just uh, watch it uh, fall from afar. <laughs> get some popcorn. Hey, Mickey T wants to know. Hey, I just want to call y'all dirty, filthy centrist. How dare you look objectively at the issues? Filthy, no side taking, low lives. It's the worst, isn't it? It's so Love frustrating. You. Keep up the great work. <laughs> Thanks, Mickey. Uh, and finally, last but certainly not least, John writes and says, "Hey, congrats on your dedouching from the No Agenda Boys." Thank you. You know what? I got to give massive credit to John C. Dvorak. He did his homework after the show. He found our shout out to them yes. from like way back in the archives. Oh yeah, because we maybe to our own mis- to our own mistake haven't properly given a shout out to the No Agenda show for a while. Yeah, and it's one of those things where I really do love those guys. I I, I love them tremendously. I I was hoping to even meet the, those guys when they were doing their tour across the country a while back. Yeah, uh, yeah. The truth of the matter yeah. is, those two individuals are professionals through and through. They have a great show, a good product, and they established a genre of podcast now that yeah. we aspire to. And our red book is an homage to the No Agenda yeah. show. It's a physical red book, actually. Yeah. We actually have, we bought a physical red book as an homage to yeah. John and to Adam, who are, are just both trend, just trend, just terrific producers and content producers yeah. and and broadcasters. However, that bell is mine. Yeah. I, I have had that. I have had you defend that. Defended, buddy. <laughs> I have had that bell for years since Cybite. That is my own bell. And my 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 Maxine Waters clip that I play on the show. My millennials stay woke. Reclaiming my time. My ass watched hours of C-SPAN to get those clips. And producer Matt has watched hours of C-SPAN to get other clips. Yeah. Those are our own clips. So that that, but to their credit, they then followed up in a second show after they douchebagged us. They de-douched us. John listened to the show. He heard our story about how we found each other via No Agenda, and uh, they gave us some props. So you know what? I, I gotta yeah. say, they they just they like at the first episode I was like, oh damn, but the second episode episode I was like, damn, look at that. That I, I is will, true like journalism right there. They I, did a good job. I will say, Chris, the weekend though for me personally was kind of rough. Oh yeah, because because we had the douching, we, we were yeah, douched, we got, yeah, and, and then the Sinclair story broke. <laughs> I know, and so I'm just like, I'm not feeling good it's, about yeah. my life. The internet, well, the internet hated you over the weekend. Everybody yeah. hated me. Yeah, and then I got the tweets about Devin. So every it was a full yeah. circle. It thing. was good. It was um, good. Otherwise, so the sack will hopefully make you feel better. Just keep grabbing yeah, Chase's sack. I, just keep <laughs> just keep grabbing it and sending it in your messages. Just, just, just gently massage. Yeah. Uh, by the way, John says also. Otherwise, what's up with Syria? Leaving or not leaving? Special circumstances are required for the president to mobilize the national guard. Can the governors complain? Just thinking out loud. And by the way, what Trump is going to be doing <laughs> oh, with man. the National Guard, the National Guard has no like uh, arresting or holding powers at all. They can only really assist. 
Uh, and on top of that, previous presidents, I think going back to Carter, have sent uh, yeah. troops down to the border. Now to the Syria point, stay tuned. I will have a clip in the overtime to address that. So, hey, as a reminder, as Chris reminded you guys, if you want to be part of this sack, head on over to patreon.com slash unfilter. Join Club 33. And there, if you jump in, I will send out a note uh, every week before the show, usually on the day before. You can jump in and uh, say hi to the fans and uh, tell us what's on your mind. All right. Are you ready for the high note, buddy? Mommy needs a joint. Mommy needs a joint. So let's start out with why we do the high note. How about a clip that reminds us all why we're here Are we today? going back to episode one? No. Oh, sorry. Actually, sorry. it was episode one. It was one. episode one. Yeah, it was. Yes. From the very beginning. I remember. No, but this is like a modern day reason why we think the high note is an important segment on the show. We begin with this hour's big hey, story. Right now, police and health officials in the Chicago area are scrambling to track down and shut down the source of synthetic marijuana that is killing people. Oy. So far, three people have been arrested. They're charged with trying to sell the fake weed to a convenience store. Two of the suspects made their initial appearance today before a judge. Now, let's explain why it's so dangerous. Preliminary testing of some of that fake weed showed it was laced with a toxic substance frequently used in rat poison. Oh. The Illinois Department of Health says right now there have been at least 70 reports of people who have experienced um, terrible symptoms like severe bleeding, including bloody gum. Some even say they coughed up blood after taking the drug. So far, two people have lost their lives, and officials fear more people could die from this. Our chief medical correspondent, Dr. Sanjay Gupta, joins me now, and you've done a lot of research into uh, marijuana, the effects of it, the legalization of it, and now the replication of it, mm. right? This, this, this manufactured weed, if you will. Um, let me ask you, explain what it is and how we would know that it's that it is um, manufactured synthetic marijuana? Well, it, it, it can be hard to know, and that's part of the problem because this is a very unregulated industry. Uh, as, as we've talked about, Michaela, what, what we're talking about basically is, is these guys are taking any kind of plant material and they're basically creating these chemicals that have some cannabinoids in them, basically can stimulate the receptors in your body, the cannabinoid receptors, and they spray it on this plant-like substance and that's what they're calling synthetic cannabinoids. It's, it's, it's a little bit of a misnomer because it's not, it's really not marijuana at all. It's a totally synthetic substance, uh, that, uh, stimulates some of these same receptors. It is even in the stores sometimes, and it's going to be sold in, in convenience stores, gas stations, as you mentioned. Sometimes it's sold as an herbal or liquid incense. So it's not even sold as a, as a, uh, something that you would consume. But it's then placed near the cigars, for example, in a gas station. So it's it's a really uh, it's this is a new thing that's sort of happening real time. Fake weed. And we wouldn't have fake weed if regular weed wasn't illegal. I was going to say in Illinois, is it legal or illegal? What weed? Yeah, illegal. Exactly. So here's here's the issue: is the opioid addiction crisis is nuts. I mean, in Washington alone, it is unmanageable. Trump administration is following through on a campaign promise to combat the opioid crisis as the death toll rises across the country from the highly addictive drugs. CDC statistics show more than 63,000 people died from overdoses in 2016, up more than 10,000 from the previous year. Wow. Of that, opioids accounted for two-thirds of the fatalities. Deaths from synthetic opioids more than doubling and heroin overdoses rising as well. So this is a serious, serious, serious issue. So that's why... One, a new study comes out that shows that states that have legalized cannabis 
have less opioid addictions, that's a pretty big deal. Mm -hmm. And so that's why when a second study comes out, two independent studies come out that show that states that legalize cannabis have less opioid addictions, it's kind of a big deal. Legalizing marijuana could lead to fewer people taking prescription painkillers, and experts say that means people might be less likely to overdose on opioids. Two studies released today looked at Medicare and Medicaid patients in states where pot is legal. It found that opioids were prescribed less often and taken less in those states. Medical marijuana has been called a lower-risk alternative to opioids by advocates, but some disagree. Other studies have found marijuana might lead to future opioid use. Experts want states and the federal government to pay for more studies to see if there is a link. Well, more studies. Yeah, they need the studies and not use the the crappy stuff and actually legitimately like use what they use out there. Yeah, that's go a good point. It. But two different studies that have been published in a journal. And by the way, interesting little side note, those two studies were not conducted in states that have legalized, but they were analyzing states that have. So it's not like they had like a lot of skin in the game. Right. They yeah. were coming from states that hadn't legalized. It was yet. In, 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 like independent stuff. You know, two like, different ones. Even in, yeah, yeah. Get hard numbers out there that were then published in a peer-reviewed journal. See, I mean, I'm just saying. Well, wow, which saying. wasn't squashed by pharma. I'm shocked by this. So uh, we would love to have your support. Patreon.com/slash/unfilter. Check out the new site, unfilter.show. Unfilter show. Get the links for this week's episode at unfilter.show/slash/275. You can plug our RSS feed into your favorite podcast catcher, unfilter.show/slash/rss. Yes. And Mr. Chase, there's probably some places they could find you throughout the week. Perhaps a Twitter? I do a social media thing called Twitter. Yes, twitter.com slash Nunes, N-U-N-E-S. There's a Geek Gamer thing on there as well, TV on Twitter. I'll take it. And uh, we got Discords, too, and uh, YouTubes and Twitches and all that stuff. But hey, what about you, Chris? I mean, Me? You have thoughts. Me? You share those things. Me? Where can people find them? At Chris LES for my Twitter. I won't spam you. That's my pledge. The network's at Jupiter Signal. the IRC for this show irc.geekshed.net and then there is a dedicated chat room pound unfilter join that nice get in there get in there you can join us live on Wednesdays go to jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar for our live time jblive.tv is where we stream it dang Chase I think that's just about it thank you everybody so much for joining us on this week's episode of the unfilter program stay tuned because the overtime's coming up and as you probably have gathered there's several things in there that may be applicable to your interests but if you're done with your meat and potatoes you gotta go thanks so much for joining us we'll see you back here next week not over yet. It's time for the overtime! And I know that each of you understand you have the power. Stay woke! 
stay woke indeed, my friends. Stay woke indeed. Patreon.com slash unfilter. Stay woke! Thank you to our patrons over there for supporting the show. I clipped that myself, by the way. Clipped it myself. Myself. Because our patrons make the production of this show possible. You guys are what enable me as a business owner to carve out hours and hours of time every single week and dedicate my focus to this show. And then you guys stepped up again and you made it possible for us to have a producer who could monitor the news all the time when things break and make sure we're grabbing clips as they happen. Our patrons did that and I want to thank you. We have one new patron this week. Thank you to Natalie. It's a slow climb to our next goal and I appreciate every single person who has the will and the means to support us. It means a lot. Patreon.com slash unfilter. This overtime segment is dedicated to you. Now, we start things off in the overtime with the O'Nancy segment. You know that. It's something we've done for a while. And I almost grow tired. I grow tired, my friends. I tire. Because how many times can I make this point and have nothing change? I need to move on eventually. Creatively, I have lost inspiration on the O'Nancy segment. I'm creatively bankrupt with this segment It's just, there's so much corruption and greed that I can't help but keep going. Yep, that's House Minority Leader Nancy Pelosi in a new report uh, now says that she is featured in one-third of all GOP broadcast ads aired in House races this year. That compares with just 9% in all of 2016 and 13% in 2014. Here's one attacking Democratic Senator Joe Donnelly from Indiana. Listen. But Senator Joe Donnelly voted against tax cuts for hardworking Hoosiers. He stood with Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer instead of us. So this is a point that I've been making for a while is that Nancy Pelosi has a political cost. And um, that's something that is becoming more and more political ammo. Yep. So joining me now, The Daily Signals, Kelsey Hartness and Democratic strategist Danielle McLaughlin. Could Pelosi, uh, Kelsey, let's start with you, be the Democrats undoing in the midterms? (laughs) No, 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 no. You see, it's all about the money. It's all about the money. That and, of course, uh, as we all know, staying woke. We've got to stay woke. Like Maxine Waters always tells us, got to stay woke all the time. Anti-Maxine. And she's always reclaiming her time, right? My millennials, stay woke. And she's reclaiming time. Reclaiming my time. And that's fine. You see, that's cute. See, I got that clip off of C-SPAN, um, and that's fine when she did it. It was, it was, it was a moment, and it's, it's, it's great to mock her. It's not a brand, though. God damn it, it's not a brand. Stop it. Stop it, Maxine Waters. Stop it. Here's Maxine Waters this week at the Doubletree, um, and I, I don't actually have my uh, – I don't actually have it on my notes uh, – <laughs> Where this event was. I forgot to write that down because I got so distracted. And I'm not joking. I got so distracted by all of the corporate sponsors that are littered behind her that's like half cut off on this video that's the wrong aspect ratio too. Like it just – oh my god, you guys. You go, you go just one hop off of the main networks and the production values just drop worse than a podcast. Anyways – so uh, Maxine Waters, looking healthier than ever, is standing up here at a double tree in podium, and behind her is um, a bunch of logos 
for uh, com- some companies I recognize, like an organization in California and Pelican and others, and other companies I've, I've, they look like mutual funds I've never even heard of, and, and hotels and, and service agencies. And uh, Maxine Waters is addressing the crowd on a political issue, and she opens with what is now her typical. Good afternoon. Reclaiming my time. <laughs> I don't know what it is, guys, but something about politicians being dickbags in hearings so that way they can make a scene in front of cameras and then parlaying that into a brand element. For some reason, that pisses me off. I'm in my time. (laughs) (laughs) I can't wait for her to run for president, guys. Can't wait for it. Uh, And, of course, uh, speaking of running for president, that stupid gun-running son of a bitch, Eric Holder. I'm not holding back anymore. Apparently, I'm angry now. (laughs) She's got me worked up. Eric Holder is definitely considering running for president. So I've asked you about pot, so now I have to ask you about running for president. I couldn't find the pot clip, by the way. If you can find the Eric Holder pot clip, please tweet me, at Chris Elias, this total preppy D-bag-looking SOB. Oh, my God. Listen to me. Maxine got me so upset. I don't know what's I, something broke. My filter broke. I apologize. I will try to get control of myself again. But look at this guy with his face. <laughs> I just can't even. I can't even with these people. Uh, and I believe he's from the New York Times. And um, they play this uh, this this cuckold game where they where they try to uh, get a little bit of a hint that they might be running for president. Um, you see them do this to de- Democratic candidates for years before the race. It drives me crazy. Eric Holder, uh, Mr. Contempt of Congress, is a corrupt son of a bitch. Uh, he was Obama's right-hand guy. He would be basically Obama's man in the White House if he were to run. It would be another Obama. It would be Obama's third term if Eric Holder were to run. Look up Fast and Furious Eric Holder. You, um, that's a logical connection. When you... <laughs> Anyways, like I was saying, if you can find that pot clip, I'd like to see what Eric Holder, the former attorney general, had to say about uh, marijuana. Anyways, we continue on now to why I'm actually playing this clip. Uh, When we first spoke about the redistricting committee, you said um, running for office was not in your future. Uh, And you've been much, much more ambiguous lately. Uh, And I wonder if you could just uh, sort of talk through if you were going to do it, why would you do it? If you didn't do it, why would you not do it? You know what's funny is um, I've interviewed uh, a fair amount of guests over the 11 years that I've been doing internet podcasting, and um, I'm not like uh, some New York Times uh, correspondent. But one of the things that I've always attempted to do, even if it was covered by somebody who I think does poor coverage, is before I interview somebody, I, I try to take in all of their previous interviews. I want to ask something that hasn't been asked. I want to find out something that is new. And it's, it's part selfish. I, you know, that's got a better chance of generating buzz. If you learn something new, people are more likely to share that. And everybody loves downloads. But also, like, that's my contribution. If I'm talking to a historical figure, I, I want to pull out of them something that wasn't already in the public domain. That's my goal. Otherwise, you know, if you're a fan of Eric Holder and you've been following him and you're aware of what he's been saying, as apparently this guy is, then you know he's already been asked this exact question. You know he's been asked this exact question several times recently. In fact, you may have even discovered that we covered this exact question on this show just a few weeks ago. 
But perhaps the New York Times isn't that well-sourced. Perhaps they don't have the capability to see what other media outlets are saying about the person they're about to interview. Or an alternative suggestion that just came to me off the top of my head is perhaps this is the narrative that they want to keep hammering over and over and over again. I'm not sure. What do you think? If you were going to do it, why would you do it? If you didn't do it, why would you not do it? If you were going to do it, why would you do it? If you weren't going to do it, why wouldn't you do it? That's a very, very specific kind of question. Almost like he knows he's answered this kind of question a dozen times, and he knows what the answer is, so he's able to set it up in an exact way in which Eric Holder can knock it out of the park. Uh, if I were going to do it, I would do it because I, I, I would think, I would have concluded that um, I could maybe unify the country. <laughs> yeah, the former lawman, the former the attorney general who looks like a weasel is going to unify the country. That um, help unify the country because it's, it's bigger than any one person. Um, that I could advance... Well, actually, that I could repair and then advance, you know, the the nation in um, a variety of of contexts. Hmm, but, you know, I haven't thought of this. It's just, you know, I'm just thinking this um, off the top of my head. You notice some brain struggle in there. Advance, you know, the the nation in um, a variety of of contexts um, that I thought I had something to, you know, contribute. That would be... I think the thing that would push me towards... Yeah, you know, like prison time. Um, you know, considering, considering a run. You know, like running guns to Mexico. On the negative side, um, you know, I, I'm, I've been in public life for, uh, you know, a fair amount of years. I know, I remember, uh, you know, some unpleasant hearings with uh, some uh, congressmen who are now leaving. Uh, in other words, they would roll out those clips and play them over and over again in political attack ads, so I'm damaged goods. Um, I'm going to miss them. Um, and, you know, to subject myself and my family to that, again, would be, um, that could be, a, could be, you know, could be a negative. It's, it's, it's an easy, you know, for me, it was part of the job, you know, All right? You know, you know, my family was never involved when I was in political uh, careers before as the attorney general of the United fucking States of America. My, my family was never involved. But if I were to run for one in office in particular, then all of a sudden my family's involved. I read about, you know, holders, corrupt, holders, you know, whatever. whatever. It's all politics. And I just dismiss it. Uh-huh. Um, but I saw the impact that it had on, uh, on my family. Uh, my wife had a, a Google alert. You know, with, with, and I said, that's Sweet, never sweetheart, you can't do that, you know, I mean, because you're going to just drag into, you know, everything. And, um, you know, like my affairs. You know, she took to heart. You know, I mean, she, bo- she took to heart, guys. Took to heart. Bothered her um, in a way that, you know, it didn't necessarily bother me. And uh, she found out that I was a psychopath involved in arming Mexican cartels, which took human lives. And that really bothered her. Uh, but I'm a psychopath who doesn't feel anything, and I just emulate emotion. Um, in a way that, you know, it didn't necessarily bother me. And uh, the thought of going back into to public life, I mean, that's something that I, that I that obviously yeah. have to consider. Yeah, you would have to consider that. Because then who's going to suck your dick, huh, Eric? 
Yeah, you better figure that out because that's the most damn important thing in deciding who's the president. Although Hillary, may, maybe she's the one to confer with because according to Hillary, it's not that she's out of touch. It's not that she's corrupt. It's not that she's part of the banking elite. It's not that she was involved with disastrous situations in Libya and Syria. That's why – and oh, of course, it's not that her email was just this huge scandal the entire time. Or that the Clinton Foundation is a constant source of speculation about corruption. It's none of those things that caused her to lose the presidency. And it's none of those things that now has – and you saw me play the clips last week – forced the media to come out and say, OK, Hillary, enough's enough. Go away. Go take a long-term vacation. Let the next generation step up. You saw me play those clips last week. That's not what's going on though. You see, simply it's that Hillary's a woman. Election was – uh, pretty traumatic. Uh, <laughs> <a lot> of, <laughs> the election was traumatic. A lot of uh, angst and second guessing and finger pointing. And, oh my God, did you see how shrill she was? You know, people really didn't talk about her shrillness, actually. That was, I was, I, I, I specifically was watching for that because that would have been the sexist thing. And second guessing and finger pointing. And, oh my God, did you see how shrill she was? I took a lot of long walks in the woods. Uh, uh, like I've used that one a thousand times and I had a, I had one or two trips in the woods and now I can use it a million times. Seriously, find me a single clip of somebody calling her shrill during the 2016 election. Oh my God, did you see how shrill she was? I took a lot of long walks in the woods. Um, <laughs> You know, drank my share of Chardonnay. She's a drunk. I was really struck by um, how people said that to me. Go away, go away. They never said that to any man who was not elected. I am uh, really committed to uh, speaking out. What about, what about Ross Perot? Uh, who is still calling for Mitt Romney? The establishment wants Mitt Romney, but there's no public figures that are calling for Mitt Romney. I can think of a lot of men who ran for office who were told to STFU, in fact, the majority of them. And doing what I can to uh, have a voice in the debate about where our country's going. Okay, good. She's going to continue to do what she can to apparently destroy her party. But you see, all parties have problems. Hillary will be the very first person to pretend to make that disclaimer. Both parties have their faults. I will, I will premise what I'm about to say. And we can all do better. And I can certainly do better. I mean, obviously... I could not have ran my own email out of the bathroom of my IT guy until he moved it to some weird data center. I, I could have not done that. I could have not organized the murder of Gaddafi. I could have not done that. I could have not taken money from all of those special interests. I could have not created a corrupt foundation with my husband who's a pedophile. And I could have not invaded Syria. I could have done those. I could have not done those things or I could have done those things. You know, I'll be the first to admit that shit because that's wait, what? And we can all do better. And I can certainly do better. I mean, obviously, in the heat of battle and political back and forth. I've said things that, you know, I, I would like to take back. Oh. Oh, that's it? That's all you're going to take back? The deplorables comment? That's it? Out of all of the shit that... So the only mistake that you made in your entire election process that you failed to win was the deplorables comment? Really? Really? Oh. Well, I guess I'll just scratch all this other stuff off this list that I had. Political back and forth. I've said things that, you know, I, I would like to take back. We all are like that. But I do worry that what's happened to the Republican Party 
is that it's being held captive by a very small group of powerful forces. Uh, George Soros? No. Oh, uh, Google. We have seen the power of the NRA. Oh, the NRA. Hmm. I don't disagree that the NRA is influential, especially, especially, uh, especially down at the local level. But uh, if you look at the D.C. level, the NRA is not even in the top 10 of contributors. Uh, Google is, though. Google sure is. Google's in maybe the top one position, actually. But you know, you know, let's focus on the NRA. Let's focus. Sure. Yeah. I actually – actually, let's stop here for a second, <clears throat> a little bit further. I actually think this is a huge um, sinkhole in the, gun, in the gun debate. We get onto the topic of the NRA and their influence over politicians – and it becomes all-consuming in the conversation. It, it Just look at the money. Go to OpenSecrets.org. Look at the NRA's contributions. I'm not downplaying the NRA as a force to pressure local politicians or to set up brand deals or anything like that or to be a marketing force. I'm not downplaying any of that. And those are, those are all very valuable things in a political discussion. But just go look at the money. If you just go look at the money. Show me the money! You'll see that the NRA isn't even in the top 10 of contributors to the politicians in D.C. The technology companies are spending way more money, your Microsofts and your Googles. So if you're uncomfortable with the amount of money that the NRA is spending with politicians, then you better definitely be uncomfortable with the amount of money that your technology companies are spending because they're making the NRA's contribution look like chump change. So keep that in mind when you hear these kinds of comments. Of powerful forces. We have seen the power of the NRA, for example, and some of the very wealthy uh, patrons of the Republican Party are so demanding. If you, if you deviate from their stated requests, they will fund somebody to run against you in a Republican primary. I feel like she's talking about Soros when she says those things. That's so weird. I mean, it's probably one and the same, right? When you have a financial master, they tend to probably behave in similar fashions, uh, right or left. It's probably not a political thing. It's probably a human nature thing. So a lot of people have asked me this week what I think about Trump attacking Amazon this week. Have you heard about this story? President Trump's growing attack on Amazon. The president on Twitter lashing out at one of the world's biggest retailers. And just like that, Amazon stock plunged. Our chief business correspondent, Rebecca Jarvis, is here. And Rebecca, this war seems to be getting personal. Yeah, that's right, Cecilia. This yeah, is the company right. where millions of Americans buy everything from electricity electronics to paper towels. It is a stock that most Americans with a 401k own in their savings account. And the repeated Twitter attacks from the president are taking their toll. I like that. That uh, You see what they did there? Did you catch that? So Trump is screwing up your retirement funds because he's going after a good old-fashioned American company. Have no illusions about Amazon, my friends. <laughs> Have no illusions. Amazon was created by a bunch of bankers that are extremely rich. They had every single intention of taking over all of retail. They intentionally started with books because that was Jeff Bezos' advice, and they grew from there. And they didn't give any shits if he ever made a profit. He was funded by a group of bankers and given the green light to just burn cash. So I'm, you know, I'm buying shit from Amazon all the time. I just got packages from Amazon today. So I'm not like I'm, it's not like I'm taking some sort of moral high ground here. 
But let's not kid ourselves. This isn't like a good old-fashioned American company that we used to think of. This is an entirely different beast. And your 401k is going to be fine regardless of what happens to Amazon. I don't know why C- – I'm sorry, ABC feels like they need to make that connection. Maybe they're just concerned that you're too ADD. Perhaps they don't think you're intelligent enough to pay attention to this story if they don't make it about you. I'm not sure why they're making that correlation. Maybe it's just an easy way to shit on Trump when they don't have one. Own in their savings account and the repeated Twitter attacks from the president are taking their toll. You're fucked. President Trump threatening major changes for Amazon. On Monday, tweeting, only fools or worse are saying that our money-losing post office makes money with Amazon. They lose a fortune, and this will be changed. Also, our fully tax-paying retailers are closing stores all over the country. Not a level playing field. That's what it's about right there. It's all part of a tweet storm aimed at the tech titan. The president suggesting rate hikes for shipping Amazon packages, sending shares of Amazon spiraling down more than 5%. Oh, God. Amazon CEO Jeff Bezos, who also owns the Washington Post, once invited to be on the president's tech council, now caught in the crosshairs. So exactly how much money is the Postal Service losing on its deal with Amazon? According to its own website, by law, the Postal Service must cover its costs on all deliveries, including Amazon packages. Amazon, which uses the Postal Service in the final leg of package delivery, does get a high-volume discount. Also at issue, taxes. While Amazon paid a total of $957 million worldwide last year and collects sales taxes in... Worldwide. Why quote the worldwide? ...in the 45 states which require it. In most states, the tech titan does not collect taxes on the products third-party vendors sell through its site, roughly half its volume. A significant advantage the e-commerce giant has over traditional brick-and-mortar competitors and a point Trump frequently campaigned on. In the meantime, your department stores are all going out of business because it's unfair competition. Last year, a record 7,000 stores closed and retailers cut 67,000 jobs overall, while Amazon announced it would be adding 100,000 jobs by mid-2018. So mid this year, Cecilia. And as the president was tweeting, we saw those Amazon stocks fall yesterday. Other tech stocks are taking a hit. How much of this has to do with what they might be seeing as uncertainty about what's happening in Washington? Well, that's certainly a part of it, Cecilia. Overall, tech stocks have been dropping in recent weeks, and we've seen that with Facebook, Netflix, Apple, of course, Amazon, which we're talking about. Yeah, here. but we can spin it as if it's Trump's fault. So shut up. Um, I love Steve's point, by the way, in the chat room. Great point by Steve. I think uh, if you want to join us live to jblive.tv on a Wednesday, jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar for our lifetime. Steve says, how has Amazon and Google avoided the antitrust lawsuit like the Microsoft and Internet Explorer one? I'm not advocating that they should bust up Amazon or anything like that. Although, wow, I bet I bet Steve, you should make a prediction there. I bet we could hear a conversation at some point in the future. Should the Amazon Web Services division be broken up from the retail division? I could see that. I could see that becoming a conversation. I mean, damn, guys, we went after Microsoft for bundling Internet Explorer into Windows, i.e., Now every operating system on the planet, even brand new baby open source operating systems, ship with a browser. (laughs) Okay. Some of them, like WebOS, are completely built (laughs) around a browser. Like you can't – you literally cannot divorce the browser from the operating system. And Microsoft got taken to court for that. So could Amazon? Yeah. 
See, in the background, what's going on with all of this is there's a there's a huge Pentagon deal on the line. You probably know that Amazon's uh, AWS has a isolated network that they run for the CIA. It's billions of dollars worth of uh, services that the, that, the, that the CIA is buying from Amazon. Uh, you probably knew that. And you probably also knew that Jeff Bezos is the owner of the Washington Post, who is also the owner of Amazon. So this is a weird relationship. And going on right now as we speak is a renegotiation with Amazon to expand the Pentagon services with the Amazon Web Services infrastructure. Every night this week, we'll be bringing you a piece of our series, Tech Tyranny. Jesus Christ. Covering the ways that powerful tech companies are dominating American life in a way that has never happened before. Okay, I guess. I mean, thanks, Facebook and Twitter. I mean, think about this, right? The the president makes statements on Twitter. You find out that Michael Jackson dies on Twitter. Facebook is, um, you know, used as a Russian propaganda platform for a half a dozen bots that are totally ineffective. You know, tech tyranny. In American history, most people are ignoring it. They shouldn't be. It's changing everything. Amazon's power over data is so great now that even the U.S. military is seeking their help. Within a few weeks, the Defense Department is expected to request a $10 billion contract that will allow Amazon to become the sole provider of cloud computing services to the military. What does this mean? A story we're not going to ignore. Matt Stoller is a fellow with Citizens Against Monopoly, and he joins us tonight. Matt, this is one of those stories that, like a lot of stories right now, they're just kind of passing people by. And no one's stopping to say, well, what is this and what are the implications of it? So let me ask, what is this and what are the implications of this? So, so this is what the Pentagon calls a potential revolution in how they buy information technology. And information technology is the heart of everything right now, yes. including war. So um, this is a decision by the, the Pentagon or potential decision by the Pentagon to do something very unusual, which is to not have multiple suppliers of a key uh, resource that they rely on, in this case, data. And they are handing over uh, an important bottleneck of our national security to Jeff Bezos and Amazon. And that's something that should be very concerning to people because Jeff Bezos has relationships. Uh, Amazon has relationships all over the world with all sorts of entities that could <laughs> uh, that have a reason to manipulate and undermine American national security interests. And even if they don't, even if Amazon does a great job and we have no other redundant cloud computing services, uh, last year, because of a typo in an Amazon data center, a whole bunch of websites, 150,000 websites went down, including big ones like Pinterest, um, parts of Slack, and even the Securities and Exchange Commission. So it is a really dangerous thing to award a contract over such a vital resource to just one company. Now, I can see that argument. Um, I guess you have to ask yourself, uh, who's going to do a better job? Is the U.S. government going to do a better job of running a super secure omnipresent online database and uh, probably all kinds of web services, email, all kinds of apps, I would imagine, that they need to get access to all around the world. Is the U.S. government better suited at doing that job or is Amazon? And then you also have to ask yourself, well, shouldn't they be prepared for an outage regardless of who's host? I mean, if they go spin up half a dozen DigitalOcean droplets or they go host it on Rackspace or Linode or or they go roll their own systems in some data center somewhere in Grand Forks, North Dakota. They sure as shit better have a, 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 a backup plan, some sort of continuity backup plan if the systems go down. So the fear is uh, on that aspect I feel like is hype. 
What makes me uncomfortable is that Amazon will have this multiple tens of billions of dollars worth of contracts with the federal government and it's it's like the Pentagon and CIA. <laughs> and that's what does that do to Amazon? That that aligns their interest to now their number one client by a large margin the US government. Well, I've worked in the client services industry for a long time and I can tell you that your number one, number two, number three, number four clients, your top four clients who might be – who could represent in total 40, 50, 70 percent of your overall income, you will do whatever they want because they are vital. They have what established your core revenue. That's what brings in your baseline revenue right there. That's what you're now doing your payroll and your infrastructure costs on. The new, the new clients that you take on, the ones that are representing the bottom of your revenue, are what you use to finance expansion. That's, that's generally how it works in these technology companies. I've seen it several times in different iterations. And if the U.S. government also wants some company, some large technology company, to play ball in some backdoor encryption scheme that they're trying to get uh, to, to, to take off across the world – Amazon would probably very likely be encouraged to be one of the primary adopters and supporters and cheerleaders of that kind of initiative. Amazon is going to be incentivized to work with legal proceedings when they need to give access to what a customer's records are. It just makes me uncomfortable about Amazon. Is you know, I, I at the same time, I'm perhaps sort of like in like some sort of hypocritical way, I almost think it's better for the U.S. government to outsource to a privatized AWS that's specifically been purpose-built for them. It's just going to be something that Amazon is clearly better at doing than the federal government will be. And it's something that can be maintained and kept up to date and patched, which is incredibly important as these agencies go online. And I don't believe they are staffed well enough to keep their systems up to date and current with new technology trends. You know, when Meltdown Inspector comes out, Amazon's doing rolling outages on AWS to update their VMs before it's even public knowledge. It's not that the federal government couldn't do that. It's just that they don't. They don't have the resources. And the, that, is the, that is the level of maintenance and care that you need to take when you have so much shit online. So I, I'm not totally against them working with some hosting provider. I just wish it wasn't Jeff Bezos and Amazon because they're starting to creep the hell out of me. Especially with control of the Washington Post because then you have um, a close ally of the federal government who's also controlling a massive news outlet. And that news outlet tends to report about Donald Trump very negatively. And so I just – I'm not so sure how I feel about any of it. And I just want good, clear – and really all I want is just good, clear divisions between all of this stuff. I'm not saying don't do it. I'm just saying make it clear You know, if Amazon or somebody could just make some sort of statement about how like they've isolated it off or it's like a subdivision of Amazon that manages all of this so it won't be influencing corporate decisions. Something like that would make this entire thing better. But right now, it just looks like Amazon's becoming the next utility company and the utility they're selling is services – and uh, they're going to get rich and they're going to get um, essentially a locked-in monopoly thanks to the federal government. And that I'm not as comfortable with.
To begin with breaking news, President Trump clarifying his position on U.S. involvement in Syria. A senior administration official telling CNN that Mr. Trump has told his national security team that he's willing to keep American troops in the war-torn nation for now, but he wants them out soon. And this, uh. this is coming after we heard mixed messages about the administration's policy on Syria. CNN's Caitlin Collins is live for us at the White House. Tell us about this meeting, Caitlin. Yeah, that's right, Brianna. Some brand new information from my colleague, Kevin Liptak, who says during that meeting with his national security team at the White House here yesterday, the president said he is willing to keep troops in Syria for the short term, but maintained that overall he wants to cut an exit in Syria. It's already reminding me of Obama in Afghanistan. How about you? Did you get that sense, too? Like, it's all of a sudden we're doing this again. That that slow. Yeah, no, we're, we're going to get out of there. We're going to get out of there. And then political pressure will build. And then maybe, maybe right before the re-election time, he pulls troops out of Syria and it gives him a bump. <laughs> it's just, it just really is the same script over and over again. Uh, let's talk about something interesting happening, though, in Bob's probe. Back to other news. A lawyer with ties to former Trump campaign chairman Paul Manafort is headed for prison. Chief Intelligence Correspondent Catherine Herridge is live tonight with a landmark decision in the Russia special counsel investigation. Good evening, Catherine. Well, thank you, Brett. This morning, 33-year-old Alex Vanderswan entered federal court here in Washington, D.C., where he was sentenced for lying to federal investigators. That carries a maximum penalty of five years in prison. But instead, the London-based attorney, whose father-in-law is a Russian oligarch with ties to President Putin, got 30 days in prison, a 20 thousand dollar fine and two months of supervised release. The Dutch lawyer worked with Rick Gates, the former business partner of Paul Manafort. Gates is now Uh-oh. cooperating with special counsel investigators. That's uh, just uh, that is. Uh, so this guy is officially what? Four hops away from Trump and he's one hop away from Manafort. Mr. Vanderswan also worked with Manafort, who was briefly the Trump campaign chairman and now faces money laundering and tax fraud charges. Based on court filings, special counsel investigators are exploring contacts between the three men and a suspected operative for Russian intelligence. A newly public memo for the first time explains the broad authorities that allow the special counsel to investigate events prior to the 2016 campaign. The four-page memo was drafted by Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein in August 2017. With entire sections blacked out, what's visible shows Rosenstein gave Mueller the power to go beyond allegations of Russian collusion to Manafort's work in the Ukraine and allegations that he, quote, committed a crime or crimes arising out of payments he received from the Ukrainian government before and during the tenure of President Viktor Yanukovych. In a separate development today, the wife of fired FBI Director Andrew McCabe went on the record calling last year a nightmare for her family. Writing in the Washington Post, Dr. Jill McCabe, who ran unsuccessfully for Virginia State Senate seat in 2015, said her husband did not campaign for her despite this widely circulated photo she said was meant for family and friends. Dr. McCabe also said the FBI ethics panel concluded there was no conflict for her husband when she received more than $600,000 from Democrats, including oh. a longtime Clinton ally, what? because her husband's involvement in the Clinton email case <clears throat> came after the contributions oh. were made and the race was over. Oh, totally. Then it's Fine, then. Yeah. Did you catch that? Husband's involvement in the Clinton email case came after the contributions were made and the race was over. Quote, I've spent countless hours trying to understand how the president and so many others can share such destructive lives about me. Because you have a horrible husband who was involved with a corrupt situation. Wake up, girl. Don't you see that? I mean, like, you got to not only do you got to wake up, but then you got to wake up and you got to stay woke. 
joke. I want people to know that the whole story that everything is based on is just false and utterly absurd. Of course, just like all of them always are. Of course. And your husband's been telling you that too, hasn't he? But bureau critics say the ethics findings were wrong and indicate a culture problem among senior FBI executives. Brett. Oh, Hi, Catherine, thank you. You're welcome. No, no, no. <laughs> she was really fired up there, wasn't she? I don't know why she doesn't have a prop anymore. I wish she had that memo in hand. I, I could tell she was shuffling papers, but she never held them up. I'm always watching for that. There was a moment um, that uh, happened this week that the whole Internet was really enjoying. It was Donald Trump during Easter. And it's a great, great place. It's an honor to have everybody on behalf of the Trump family, many of whom are with us right here in the audience. So the Easter Bunny uh, is standing next to Donald Trump and the First Lady, and he uh, he is a he's a gasp. His mouth is a gasp. Like he he looks like he has just seen a human penis for the first time, and this bunny did not expect it. I just want to thank you. This is a special year. Uh, our country is doing great. Okay, so you're like, yeah, okay, he's giving us a nice Easter talk. This is good. You look at the economy, you look at what's happening. Uh Nothing's ever easy, but we have never had an economy like we have right now. And we're going to make it bigger and better and stronger. Our military is now at a level, will soon be at a level that it's never been before. This is Easter, though. It's, uh, you see what's happening. And you see what's happening with funding. The funding of our military was so important. Remember when how I, I, I seem to recall a time maybe I'm wrong maybe I'm maybe I'm wrong but I seem to recall a time when we were upset about how much money we spend on our military that we thought it was too much money but now now it's a point of national pride on Easter Sunday see what's happening with funding the funding of our military was so important and so many military people are with us today so just think of $700 billion, because that's all going into our military <laughs> this year. So I want to thank you all for being here. Why would he do that? Why would he do that? What is wrong with his mouth? Because that's all going into our military. Just think of $700 billion. Because- <laughs> and the visuals of this. You have Melania, who looks like she's physically there. And then you have the Easter Bunny, who is still fixated on his first human penis 30 years into life. And you have Donald Trump talking about spending $700 billion on the military. For what exactly? Is is there – there's never been a visual like this in the history of the United States. Ladies and gentlemen, if you're watching the visual version, take a moment to look at this. And if you've just been listening – when you get somewhere, fire up an image search and look for this because this this represents the shit show that is 2018 in one video frame. And it's it's quite remarkable. People are with us today. So just think of $700 billion because that's all going into our military this year. So I want to thank you all for being here. The band, unbelievable. I love you people. I hear them a lot. <laughs> They're just so weird. That is the weirdest. <laughs> that is so weird. I don't even know what to do with that. That's <laughs> so funny with that bunny there too. All right. <clears throat> there was a story this week that I'm going to bet has two elements for the audience. A majority, not all of you. I bet some of you already knew way, were way hip to this. But uh, I bet this week was one of the first or second times you've ever heard the name Sinclair Broadcasting or Sinclair Broadcast Group. 
I bet Sinclair might be the first maybe the first time you've heard that name this week. But the idea that's been floating around, the meme, the video of all of the news actors saying the same line over and over again is probably nothing new to the unfiltered audience. Conan's been doing uh, bits uh, on this for a long, long time. Uh, uh, the, uh, uh, John Oliver has done it. The Daily Show has done it. It's you guys. We've done it. <laughs> I mean, like everybody has done this. So that's not new to the audience. But the mainstream media sure noticed this week, didn't they? Tonight, the biggest owner of local TV stations in the country fighting back after criticism that its anchors were forced to read scripts on the air promoting a pro-Trump agenda. The promo read on Sinclair Broadcasting-owned stations brought to light how, thanks to a now viral video put out by the website Deadspin. Take a look. The sharing of biased and false, false news, news has become, become all too common on, on social, social media. media. More alarming, some media I'm sure you've seen this a lot. It's been getting passed around. If you want, you can go look for Deadspin and the uh, Sinclair Broadcasting on YouTube to watch the whole thing. It's pretty good. I have it in the supporter sync as well. I want to mention that most of the Sinclair stations are also CNN affiliates. Brian Stelter is out front with more. So she makes a bit of a baby disclaimer there. So I want to make sure you hear it. Stations are also CNN affiliates. So a lot of the Sinclair stations are also CNN affiliates. She gets halfway there on the disclaimer. She fails to make the complete disclaimer. The complete disclaimer that you need to know going into this, and my friends, go Google this yourselves, Sinclair Broadcasting Group would like to buy Turner Media. Now, do you know who Turner Media owns? <laughs> I bet you do. CNN. Ah, so you see, Brian Seltzerwater has been breaking the news on this story since December. Although, as I've just covered, Conan, The Daily Show, here, this very show, has been covering this topic for years. Everybody knows it. It's, it's all of a sudden come up on CNN, even though they're attacking some of their own, some of their own partners. See, so keep that awkward position in mind. They are essentially going after some of their own buddies. I want to mention that most of the Sinclair stations are also CNN affiliates. So most of them are working with CNN. They are attacking their own affiliates in this piece. Why would they do that? Is it because they're honest journalists that are telling you like it is? No, no, no. It's because Sinclair Media Group wants to buy, the Sinclair Broadcast Group, wants to buy Turner Media, and Turner Media owns CNN. And this has been going on for months. It's been going on for months. And as soon as it started happening, CNN started talking tough about Sinclair. They're trying to sabotage the deal. And rightfully show. They should. It's a bad deal. We don't want Sinclair owning all of the media. That's not a good thing. Although I think this stuff's so fucked anyways. It doesn't matter at this point. Might as well accelerate its own death so that way we can burn it all to the ground and something new can rise up. But in the meantime, the shit show continues. And they're not telling you that they 100% have a total stake in this and they are trying to torpedo the deal because they don't want to be owned by a conservative company because they are a bunch of liberal nutbags at CNN. Brian Stelter is out front with more. 
a broadcasting behemoth with many critics, some now calling it a propaganda arm yeah. for the Trump administration. <laughs> okay. With around 200 stations, Sinclair is the biggest local TV player in the country. Today, it reaches more than a third of U.S. households, and it's trying to get bigger, awaiting government approval for its takeover of Tribune Media. The company's conservative bent is becoming more visible, with promos echoing Trump's anti-media rhetoric. We are extremely proud of the quality, balanced journalism that CBS 4 News produces. But we are concerned about trouble and one-sided news stories playing our country. That viral mashup is just the latest example. Stations are required to run terrorism alert desk segments about security threats. These are known as must-runs inside Sinclair. Here's the bottom line. Also must run these rah-rah commentaries from former Trump campaign advisor Boris Epstein. The president is here to get results and not to coddle staff or cabinet members. During the presidential campaign, Jared Kushner reportedly inked a deal with Sinclair for better coverage. Sinclair calls that a mischaracterization. But the company's politics are no secret. It's controlled by executive chairman David Smith and his family. With his brothers in the early 90s, Smith built his father's three TV stations into a mega broadcaster. How many of your stations are in the top 20 markets? Well, we're uh, in Baltimore to Tuscaloosa, Alabama, with the vast majority of them being middle markets. The Flint, Michigan's, uh, Kansas City's, uh, Birmingham. His views radiate out to local stations, sometimes creating tension between management and local journalists. Some local staffers are expressing anger about recent corporate mandates, with one telling me, quote, it sickens me the way this company is encroaching upon trusted news brands in rural markets. Responding to the uproar, Sinclair sent a memo to stations. It says, quote, we are focused on fact-based reporting, and it calls the goal of those now viral promos to reiterate our commitment to reporting facts in a pursuit of truth. A bit like the Fox Fair and Balance slogan. It's innocuous sounding, but everyone knows what it really means. Tonight, we know one staffer at a station has resigned as a result. We know another station up in Wisconsin refused to air these promos. The company's dealing with the fallout from this. And I'm hearing from staffers all across the country in these local newsrooms who just feel deeply uncomfortable having to broadcast this. All right, Brian, thank you very much. And, and I want to go now to Deadspin video editor Tim Dead Burke. Spin. We saw all of those anchors uh, on the screen echoing <laughs> each other. You know, isn't it? I mean, I am. It's so funny, like when these things arise, because like part of me is like, F yeah, man, let everybody know about it. The more people, the merrier. Finally, somebody with a bigger megaphone than I is talking about this issue. Yeah. And then part of me is like, you hypocritical sons of bitches have your own agenda here. And even when you're trying to play like you're being the watchdogs of the media, you're, you're actually pushing your own agenda. And I'm offended by watching it. And, and they, the, the context of this entire situation is as if none of this was ever known before until these sons of bitches over at Deadspin put this together. And it just bothers me. But uh, – at the same time, like I said, I'm glad they're talking about it. It's a weird thing. Uh, and, uh, well, it's 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 good timing. If you want to go look a little more, go look at Sinclair. I think I might have some links in the show notes on filter.show slash 275. Um, but I, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if it slows this whole thing down a little more. 
that that is what I would expect to happen. So I speaking of local news, I learned about the Atlanta ransomware attack via local news last week. So let's do an update on that cyber story. Atlanta is still picking up the pieces after a ransomware attack targeted the city's computer systems. Hackers are demanding a ransom in return for restoring control of the computer systems and critical city databases. Ashley Banks has more tonight. According to authorities, the Sam Sam hacking crew hacked government computers in the city of Atlanta, crippling computer and wireless networks. As a result of the hack, city courts have remained closed for a week, and police officers are writing their reports by hand. In addition, Atlanta residents can't pay bills online or use Wi-Fi at the airport. What's more alarming for city officials is the Sam Sam hacking crew has encrypted some of the government's data. And if the city doesn't pay the hackers $51,000 in Bitcoin, they may not regain control of sensitive information. So uh, what that means is that they don't have a backup. That's what that means. I've talked about this before. I'm sorry for those of you that listen to TechSnap and the other shows. But uh, the the only solution to ransomware is just to have good backups, just to have good backups that are offsite. Um, and then if all of your data gets encrypted, you just delete it and then restore the good data. That's something the federal government and state governments should absolutely have locked down. Now, this was the city of Atlanta. I would argue that even a city should have the resources to have at least a carbonite plan. You know, go to go to TarSnap and back up your stuff. Use ZFS. Take snapshots. Use Windows shadow copies. You, there are options here that you can you can take advantage of that don't require millions of dollars of AWS infrastructure with agreements with the Pentagon. Just back up your data dollars in Bitcoin, they may not regain control of sensitive information. I spoke with Georgia House of Representatives Erica Thomas, and I asked her how severe was this attack? I would say that this attack is severe, you know, because it was not expected. You know, in a day and age where cyber terrorism is running very, very rampant, we have to make sure that any link that we click on or any email that we open has to be under scrutiny as if it could be a cyber attack. So um, let's let's keep in mind that we're talking about ransomware and ransomware. And she's she said it right there is typically um, user invoked. It's not an active attack. The end user clicks a link. They read an email that, and they click a link in the email. They download a program. They want to play games on their computer. They want a new background, a new screensaver. I mean it's usually really just sort of innocuous, like no big deal, just wanted to do something uh, and then boom, you spread it. And then anywhere that your user account has access to gets encrypted. So if you don't have really, really good uh, file permissions, if you, don't, if you don't take advantage of user groups and segment people off into users and administrators, you know, like I, I, every department would have a group uh, at least at the places I worked. So that way they had um, their shared files they had access to, but they couldn't get access to, say, HR's files when they're in the engineering department. But if your network is designed sort of flat from both a topology standpoint and from a shares and network file system standpoint, it is possible for anyone. You know, maybe it's the receptionist 
who's killing a little bit of time because nobody's walked in the front door in the last couple of hours. They click a link, and uh, the first thing that gets uh, ransomware is their is their uh, C drive. But pretty quickly after that, it goes to their network drives, and it starts encrypting everything on their remote file server. And that is such an easy, easy, basic thing to prevent. It's such a basic thing to prevent. It is not an advanced attack. And so, um, yeah, it, is it cyber terrorism? I, I guess you could call it that. Um, but I actually think maybe a more appropriate description would be negligence. It's simply negligence. It's negligence on the end user and it's negligence on the network implementation. Cyber terrorism, I guess, could be one interpretation, but I would just say negligence. But uh, what do I know? You know? <laughs> Moving on, I want to talk – I got not one, not two, but three of my favorite moments in the media. This is one of my favorite ways to wrap up the overtime. And uh, this one, I, I don't know what's going on here. I don't know if it's just uh, we have a really, really timid um, president, not Trump, but one of the visiting presidents – or if Trump wasn't aware that there's a delay in translation, I don't know what's going on in this clip. I will play it and leave it up to you. I'll paint a picture though. Press conference. Donald Trump is meeting with the Baltic leaders uh, and they're all doing a press conference at the White House and it's now time for questions. Trump has just answered something and he says, you know what? Let's, let's throw it to one of you guys. Why don't you pick one of your own media? Don't use our fake news media. And then – you can tell that Trump isn't waiting for the translation. So I suspect it's translation delay. But let me know what you think in the comments or in the chat room if you're watching live. You, any political dialogue. Because uh... he speaks English. So I don't, you know, the translation delay, uh, it, it, it's one of those things where like maybe he knows like exactly what he needs to say and he knows how to say that in English. But I doubt it. So I, I don't know. You guys tell me what you think. You, any political dialogue uh, with our Eastern neighbor, Russia. Uh, By the way, he's from Latvia. Pick a reporter, please. You could pick a reporter. And then he looks at Trump like he, like he, and he does like a, like a gesture with his hands, like, I, I don't know. Baltic reporter, ideally. <laughs> Real news, not fake news. Uh, but he laughs when he says that. He, the guy laughs, so he is understanding. A Baltic reporter, ideally. <laughs> Real news, not fake news. Go ahead. <laughs> but then he doesn't do it. And, and, and uh, Donald Trump, uh, being a showman, you know, he's very media aware. He, like, he's killing time. Like, he's, he, you know, the one thing you don't want is dead air. You don't want dead air. That's awkward. And a good host prevents dead air. And he does one of these sort of showman, like, he's, like, he's pulling at his collar, like, yeah, 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 yeah. But now you can hear there's some sort of translation happening in the background that I think is being fed to him. Listen carefully. <laughs> But then he jumps in before the translation finishes. Want to pick? I think we have enough. Do we have enough? Yes? Go ahead. He, and then he says, yeah. He says, yeah. So maybe he just didn't want to take any more questions. Pick, Mr. President, pick a reporter from the Baltics. Not the same man he was. So then Trump tells him, pick a reporter. Pick a reporter, like I was telling you to, man. It was very tough. Go ahead, pick a reporter. I see it. Pick a reporter. He says, I see, I don't know. Okay, okay. I can. Uh, I yes, can. go ahead. Yes, please. And then, he, and then he gets weird and Trump realizes that the guy's like 
cracking. And so then Trump picks the reporter for him before he has a chance to really say anything. I see it. Mm -hmm. Okay, I can. uh, Yes, go ahead. Yes, please. Go ahead. Hi, my name is Anna Udre. It makes me wonder if any of these people actually run their own country. Do any of them run their own country? Like the further you get out from the Western – I won't even get into it. You know what? I'm not going to say it. I'll just – people give me shit. But you watch this and tell me what you think. I'll I'll just – I'll back it up a couple of seconds. Listen to this. Please tell me what you think. Let me know in the comments because I'm trying to put this together. This seems super awkward to me. Go ahead. Pick a reporter. I see it. Okay. I can – Yes. Go ahead. Yes. Please. Go ahead. Hi, my name is Anna Udre. I'm from uh, Latvia. So I have a question for uh, our president. So she has a question for the very guy that couldn't pick a reporter that Trump picked. I don't know what that is. I don't, I, you know, I got, I could have my own conspiracies, but, uh, but I, I, I got to leave room for Jim Acosta. Jim Acosta is the man of the hour with the conspiracy theories. Here is a moment in broadcast journalism, ladies and gentlemen. Jim Acosta loses connection and then like a dick tries to imply it's the White House's fault. Let's play this moment of beauty. And he pointed out the U.S. expelled 60 Russian diplomats. Germany expelled four. France expelled four. Took a little Mm -hmm. swipe at those uh, NATO allies as well. Jim Acosta is there. Uh, Jim, I take it you're in the uh, East Room over, over at the White House? Uh, that's right, Wolf. Uh, and it was a pretty remarkable exchange, as you saw there at the very end. Uh, the president was egging on the uh, president of Latvia to call on a Baltic reporter, Uh-oh. not one of the uh, U.S. Uh, reporters who were all clamoring to get that final question. Uh-oh, he gets cut off. He gets cut off. Looks like we just lost our connection with Jim Acosta at the White House. But he was making a, a point, uh, John Kirby, that uh, the president s- sort of jokingly when he's... So then they go to Kirby, right? They fill air. Check this out. They fill air. For this entire time. Not that the White House correspondence area is super busy. There's lots of people trying to broadcast. No, 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 no. They get Jim Acosta back. It must be a conspiracy. Mexican border right now. He said, we don't have laws. We have catch and release. Uh, We have to secure our border. That's something we have to do. I think we've reestablished communications with Jim Acosta, our chief White House correspondent. Uh, Jim, you were making a a point when, when all of a sudden we lost that connection. Go ahead. Uh, that's right. We we'll, won't we'll read into uh, why we lost connection there just a few moments ago. But I, I no, 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 never do that. Right never. Tr- no, but of course, if I have a conspiracy, I'm a son of a bitch. Apparently, I love you, CNN. I want to give you so many hugs right now, Jim. I want to give you so many hugs. You guys, thank you so much for being here. I'm going to leave you with one moment of brilliance from our president of the United States. Cross borders, we need walls. We started building our wall. I'm so proud of it. We started, we started, we have 1.6 billion. And we've already started. You saw the pictures yesterday. I said, what a thing of beauty. And on September 28th, we go further and we're getting that sucker built. And you think that's easy? People said, oh, has he given up on the wall? No, I never give up. I never. We have 1.6 billion toward the wall. And we've done the planning. And uh, you saw those beautiful pictures. And that wall looks good. It's properly designed. That's what I do is I build. I was always very good at building. It was always my best thing. I think better than being president, I was maybe good at building. Like you people, you're good at building. I think maybe we'll be better at president, David. That would be that would be good.